Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray, and we are going to be talking about a movie star legend and focusing on Elizabeth Taylor with this episode. And I know it's going to be a great episode because Carmelita Valdez McCoy is joining me again. And when we were talking about uh, doing another show, uh, we, we talked about some like historical pieces or World War or Elizabeth Taylor, or I think Michael Caine was also mentioned. Um, and then I sent you a few options there. He ultimately chose the, the Elizabeth Taylor one. So I just wanted to start with that. Uh, what was it about uh, Elizabeth Taylor that was on your mind for, uh, for choosing a show this time? Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me back, first of all. I mean, Elizabeth Taylor is always on my mind. <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor is like a lifelong obsession. So this episode is like a lifetime in the making. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Like when I was a kid, you know, when I first got into movies as a kid, it was like, I didn't know much about directors. I didn't know about writers, cinematography. I didn't know any of that. What I would focus on is I would get interested in one of the movie stars. And then it'd be like, oh, I want to see all the movies that this movie star did. And Elizabeth Taylor was one of those, was one of the actors that originally got me really interested in seeing classic films. And I just adore her. So when you sent over a, a possible list of Elizabeth Taylor films that we could do if we decided to go with this theme, it was like a murderer's row of all these films that I love. And I, I anticipated it would be fun to talk about each and every one of these movies. And then it, this would be the greatest challenge in terms of points. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You said you love all of all yeah, six. I do. Um, and the, the, the six were kind of put together and I had a history with some of these more than the than, than some of the others. So a few of them were first time watches. Three of these, it's going to be interesting how what happens in the end for many reasons, because you, you love all of these. Um, uh, three of them I have only digitally and three I have physical copies of. So the ones where there's, if it's a physical copy that goes, that's usually pretty easy when it's the digital one. I think the first time I had you on that, that was the case with, uh, uh, I think it was Children of the Corn was the... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so then we had to get a little bit creative. So that there's a 50-50 chance that we might have to get creative at the end here. Um, what was interesting for me about these and, and fresh eyes on some of the movies, and again, it was funny revisiting some, some of them. One I knew exactly, I think I probably thought two, but it, it was interesting. One of them... I knew no matter what happens, I'm going to have the same opinion because I've watched it and I've used it so many times. Um, there were two others that I, I knew I really, really love. One of them dipped a little bit in my mm. memory of it. Uh, the other one was better than I had remembered it being. And I really enjoyed it the first time, but it was even better. So uh, as always, the the reviews and the points are going to be about how I've experienced them now. And that's always like, I like revisiting. Sometimes it, it would be easy to go, oh, I've watched that. And I'll just, you know, I'll watch the ones I haven't watched as much recently. But I always think getting a fresh perspective on it is important and giving each movie kind of an equal chance. Um, you'll probably disagree with me 
on my opinions of some of the movies. Here, here's kind of my my take on it, uh, and then Hit you me. can weigh in on it. Um, as interesting as Elizabeth Taylor is with the the, the focus of of the show, uh, her co-stars, most of them male. There are some great female supporting performances we'll talk about, but as far as the 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 male characters that she <clears throat> acts with in these movies, I would say in five of the six, they're just extraordinary. Yeah. The directors for these movies, um, and in one case, two of them are directed by uh, George Stevens. Um, but I'd say for five of the six of them, extraordinary directors. And then there's another director who I'm sure is fine, <laughs> but I just. <laughs> I already have a feeling I know what it is, but don't yeah. spoil it. No, I won't. But uh, I, I, it, yeah, it was, it was just interesting to me that it was almost like how well she seemed to work with and even doing a little bit of very, very general research on background of some of these films, particularly the ones I was less familiar with, how well she seemed to have gotten along with her co-stars, even if there was all kinds of drama happening on the sets of these films. They all seem to love Elizabeth Taylor and she seemed to love them, you know? Um, yeah. And so that, that really says something that she could work with all these people and, uh, and the, also these great directors, even though it, it does sound like um, as we get a little bit later into her career, some of the movie star diva ish behavior became a little bit more prominent. Whereas some of the earlier ones that we're looking at, we aren't looking at her as a, a child actor, even though she is pretty young in some of the movies. And she's always playing characters that are much older than she actually is. I think in each one of these movies, she's doing that. Yeah. Um, but this is a, there's a stage in here with some of the films where she's trying to prove herself as an, a, a great actor, not just a, a, a movie star. And, and she almost has that, that kind of the curse. I, I, I call it, I don't know why I'm equating it to male actors. I probably shouldn't be, but, like the Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt curse of being like a good looking yes. movie star. And because of that, not being taken seriously as an actor. And as we discuss these movies, um, I'm not, I mean, I, it's, it's the ranking of my, my favorites of her performances are maybe a little bit different in places here, but she could really act. And I, I still am not sure like she's, Another one of these people that won two Academy Awards. I recently talked about Jack Lemmon on the show. Mm. He won two Academy Awards, yet I felt he was a little bit underrated and underappreciated as an actor. Elizabeth Taylor won two uh, Best Actress Academy Awards. But still, I think her, ultimately, people think of the fashion and the glamour and the movie star, but don't always go back to what a good actor she was. And she was taking on these heavy hitter actor studio, New York based actors or classic British uh, leading men who had all of this experience. Her experience was on movie sets and she knew movie sets so well and film acting so well, but she was able to keep up with them. And in some cases, maybe even out act them arguably in some of these movies. So um so it's kind of a, she's a, a fascinating person to talk about, but I didn't have that. She wasn't a gateway drug to, to movies as much for me because I, 
it, it's silly when I when I read about the age that she actually died at, but she always seemed like a, an older woman to me. Like when I got mm. into poems, she was from a previous generation. And I knew of her as like when she was a younger actor, but those seemed like really old movies to me when I was a kid growing up. And it was later on I started to look at uh, more of these and go, okay, no, and she, first of all, she wasn't that old. <laughs> and, and, she wasn't. Uh, no, she died in her late seventies, and uh, and like she was, she was, she was really good. But I don't know that she was as used. She was used as effectively in the last few decades of her life. I mean, I I remember her being you know, like um, Fred Flintstone's mother-in-law in the Flintstones movie, for example, and and things like sure. that. You know, as opposed to. You know, I discovered Virginia Woolf later, and Giant, and the and some of the, and and some other movies that uh, we aren't talking about in this show. So, um, so it was discovering how great she was as an actor a bit later on. I guess was my has been my my journey with her. Oh, that warms my heart. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I I agree that I I think she's underrated in terms of her talent, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that does have to do with that that same thing that some leading men have to deal with about, you know, your attractiveness means that they want to put you in certain roles and that there's a lot of attention paid to how you look and less about your skill as an actor. I think too, in her case, she was one of those for her generation. She was one of the ones that was always in the tabloids Yes, because her personal life was so interesting and so ripe for the gossip columns, all of her marriages and affairs. And a lot of people had a lot of interest in her personal life and, and the mystique around her as a sexual, uh, as a, you know, as like a, a, a sex object. And so it's easy to, to really think of her in those terms. But when you really, really start watching the films and her filmography mm-hmm. and you kind of go through her career you can see a progression in in the types of roles she's taking you can see the skill that's clearly there and how well like you mentioned the chemistry she has with so many different actors that she's she's playing off of so she's a she's a great one to look at kind of retrospectively at the body of work and see how her career went how her how she approached the craft of acting across the span of her career. Yeah. She's a fascinating person. I mean, I just thought of a, off the top of my head, kind of a, a contemporary equivalent. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not sure that this person has been given, has been given some, but not as many, <clears throat> many uh, great roles as Taylor did, but Jennifer Lopez would be kind of that. Okay. Who's always in the tabloids and people are obsessed with her marriages and her, back and forth with Ben Affleck and uh, all these things. Like it's almost like the uh, burden Taylor type of equivalent. Sure. But she's not always recognized, I think for her talent. Um, uh, speaking purely of the movies, um, there's, I think she's given a lot more kind of romantic comedies, sometimes some action movies. But if you look at some of her work in Selena and, out of sight and like different movies here and there when she's given the chance she's a really good actor but she's always known as this pop pop icon or this uh movie star um 
music star and, and and somebody who's in the tabloids. And so that that just happens, I guess, with some some folks. But they actually they do have a certain amount of talent. They weren't just kind of handed all of this too. And talk about like a multi-decade career that Taylor had. It's tough to be a child actor and not oh, make, yeah. make it to the adult acting world. And she did that. And she kept going for, for basically her entire life. And uh, and so that's something to be, you know, thought of, you know, and as, as, as one of these great, uh, great film icons. So, um. Okay, go over the uh, movies that we're going to talk about. Are A Place in the Sun, Reflections in a Golden Eye, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Night Watch from 1973, Who is Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and Giant. Thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to say about those movies or uh, Elizabeth Taylor before we start reviewing? I want to say I think this is a great selection of Elizabeth Taylor films. We're, we're starting... We, we're getting some of her, the best of her golden years, I think, the 50s and 60s. And then as we move into the early 70s, so we, this is a nice assortment. So if there's anyone listening who isn't too familiar with Elizabeth Taylor, I think these films are a great place to get a feel for her career. And there's so many other films to check out. And I would encourage folks to watch more Elizabeth Taylor movies. I was I thought that these six films are very representative of different parts of her career and of her life. This is this is a great assortment. Yeah, I, I think it will be fun to talk about these. And uh, again, I don't I don't know. And it happens every show. It's always in a respectful way. There's always a couple of where we aren't on the same page. Yeah, uh, that makes it more fun. So I. I feel like that might happen with one or two of these, but uh, we'll see. You said you love all of them. So, I mean, that's, that's great. Some that's more than great. others and in different ways and for different yeah. reasons. Yeah. For sure. It's not like equal across the board. No. But I am most excited to hear your thoughts on these films. Well, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. So this will be, this will be fun. story of a boy from nowhere fighting desperately for his place in the sun torn between the conflicting passions that shaped his destiny montgomery clift dazzled by the radiant beauty of elizabeth taylor a girl so far above him she seemed like a goddess but only too human when he held her in his arms we'll think of something somehow whatever way we can we'll have such wonderful times together just the two of us Montgomery Clift, bound by the warm and vital appeal of Shelley Winters, the girl who clung to him with an overwhelming hunger for love. I've been wanting to do that for such a long time. So did I. Will we see each other again like this? It's up to you. You gotta be careful. One love grew in the shadows of the night, sealed by a secret they could share with no one. The other love flamed in the bright light of gaiety and laughter. A need that drove him with all the recklessness of youth itself. 
a dream that was built on deception. You lied to me, George, for the last time. Now I want you to come and get me. Yes, uh, I'll come down in the morning. And if you're not here in half an hour, I'll come where you are. I'll tell them everything, George, I mean it. You too will know the fears, the desperation that claimed him as fate weaves the strange fabric of his life. For a place in the sun is a story that will forever hold a place among your greatest dramatic memories. Is your name George Eastman? Yes. You're under arrest. So A Place in the Sun, one of the great method actors of the 20th century, Montgomery Cliff, um, he, he really is the lead in this film. And he's uh, this poor kid from Chicago who has this uh, uber rich uncle who he runs into and promises him a job if he ever, you know, can, can make his way to, uh, to where his, um, his uncle is and his uncle... Uh, I believe is in charge of its its pajamas, women's pajamas. I believe is the is a company, and he goes there. He's very much a fish out of water, and he initially gets a job kind of on the factory floor where he meets um, Shelley Winters, who, to her credit, I, I didn't recognize her for the first mm. few scenes until I was like, "Well, when is Shelley Winters coming?" Oh my gosh, that's <laughs> Shelley Winters! <laughs> fantastic, that's fantastic, and then. Um, he gets remote, romantically involved with her, but had noticed um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor, who's part of the um, the social lights in uh, in in this world. And then later on, they meet, and and an, uh, a love affair uh, happens there. But then, what this film does, given the era it came out, it deals with some very very complex situations because um, and. That's why, like a lot of the films that we're talking about, they're still in that a very kind of repressed era, but they are talking and about sex and in a very, you know, as forthright as they could with the censors of the time. Um, but essentially, Montgomery Cliff has gotten Shelley Winters pregnant and is promising all kinds of things, but he has now fallen in love with uh, Elizabeth Taylor. So um, that's the premise, essentially. Uh, and it, it goes into this lovely, dark territory towards the end, which is almost Hitchcockian, I think, um, in some ways. I guess because this has always been one that I know is a classic and one that I should have probably watched a million times, and I've, I've not watched a lot. My knocks against it, I, I suppose, and maybe if I had watched this as an original audience member, I would have been blown away by it but I could predict everything that was going to happen throughout. Um, and so some of the reveals, which uh, I think the movie thinks are big reveals, were not a huge surprise to me, but there's still a, a pleasure in watching the execution of this. And it's handled by a master director. Uh, he he uh, 
we're actually talking about two times where he won the Academy Award for Best Director, uh, where the, the film didn't win Best Picture, which is kind of unusual in that era, at least it was. And I, I, I think the MVP of this movie for me, and rightly so, she got a Best Actress nomination. I think it, you know, it almost could have been in Supporting Actress was, was Shelley Winters. I mean, she, she is a very difficult role to play her, her character arc and, and what happens. And uh, I think her presence is felt throughout the film. Cliff, I, I, I had high expectations for this performance and he's very good. And he's always very good. Uh, and we're going to be talking about Brando and, and James Dean and all these other people who are consistently awesome at, at this time. But I don't think this is among my favorite of his performances but I, I, I still enjoy it. Elizabeth Taylor, I, I, I think this is the time where she was, a, she was I, and as I understand, she was 17 years old when she did this film, so maybe I need to cut her a little bit more slack. <laughs> this is the one where I thought, uh, like, she, she, she does have some tough scenes to play. I don't think it's as difficult as Chili Winters, her arc, but um, this is one where I thought, yes, she, she's this amazing movie star, and she's in this great script with all of these people, but... She almost felt like kind of the, the bronze medalist of the three leads for me. She's there. Um, and I also think it's just kind of her her character is given some stakes, but not as much to do. Like we actually have a scene, it's a fairly famous scene where she gets some really bad news and then she faints. You know, and again, I'm looking at this 2023. It's like, this is not the progressive role for uh, for a female actor, but Shelley Winters' role, particularly the scene she has to have with this this doctor, where they are talking around the idea of an abortion, is um, is amazing. It's amazing to me. So um, this isn't my favorite of the six, but I do like it a lot. So that's that's where I uh, start with the place in the sun. What are your thoughts on it? No, I agree with a lot of that. I think this is definitely not Elizabeth Taylor's movie. But I do think it's cool to look at this one and we'll contrast it with the other films that are, are later in her career. And it's part of that progression at this time. You know, she's she's aging out of being the child star. She's a young woman. Very beautiful. But she is playing a lot of these very, you know, the chaste girl next door. The the beautiful girl next door that you're in love with and she's innocent and chaste and virtuous and you're supposed, you know, our, our male lead is supposed to put her on this pedestal and she's like this perfect angel of a character. It's not a very meaty role. It doesn't mm -hmm. give her that much to do. There are There are some moments between her and Montgomery Cliff that that are really lovely moments between the two of them. But yeah, her character doesn't get a lot to do. I think what's interesting about talking about it in this episode is its relationship to the other films and how much Elizabeth Taylor's career changes. Yes. She goes from playing these ingenues, the virtuous girl next door, and she becomes this fiery, fierce uh, bombshell later and that's that's an interesting progression to notice for me the thing that sets this film apart 
from a lot of other films that kind of on the surface you're thinking, oh, okay, yeah, romance, a little bit of melodrama. Mm -hmm. This film is so bleak. It is. And it's very and it's very frank. Yeah. Yeah, very frank. It is unflinching. Montgomery Cliff's character, and the, there's like class politics in here. The Big working time. class girl played by Shelley Winters, he can't wait to get her in the backseat of the car. You know, like he's immediately very handsy, very aggressive. <laughs> and and with Elizabeth Taylor's character, Angela, you know, he's very the gentleman and <laughs> and and he's being very respectful and he it's there is so much to unpack in this film. I mean, yeah. this would be a great film to just do a whole episode on. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You know, because there's there's just so much about the sexual politics of the time. You know, unwed motherhood was yes. frowned upon. So there's the pressure on Shelley Winter's character to get him to do the right thing and marry her. Mm-hmm the abortion issue there's the class politics around this ambitious young man who wants to get in with the well-to-do powerful moneyed classes and is trying to work his way there and because of this indiscretion this fling that he has the whole thing gets derailed And he's trying so hard to, it's like he doesn't want to be the bad guy. No. (laughs) But one way or another, he's going to have to let somebody down. He's going to disappoint somebody. Mm -hmm. And in that wanting to have it all and not wanting to have to confront his mistakes leads to him making even bigger mistakes. And I just find that fascinating to watch. Well, and I, and if you look at through his eyes, you know, I, I don't think initially there is, other than like that, that you know, oh, don't have premarital sex or whatever message of the that time, but um, there wasn't a lot he did wrong until late in the film. And even that's yes. kind of up for question, but th- there, there are things that he did wrong. But if he had gone in one direction, he probably would have lost his job and lost everything. If he'd gone this other direction, there there was no way for him to be able to get rid of Shelley Winters. You know, yeah. there in his life, it's a small town that they're in. Um, and uh, things are, are, are going to get revealed and it's going to get bad for him either way you know and there is i think kind of doing the right thing but also he's been poor and he's again this suggestion he's been part of this uh, really extreme religious uh group that his mother's involved with I, I don't think he wants to go back to the that world he was in before but he feels like he'd almost have to go back to it if he makes the other choice so there are some complicated things in this as I maybe was dismissive and calling it predictable yet some of the, what would have been surprises, I just don't think we're, we're all that surprising. In 2023, they're definitely not. No, 
back then, yeah, it may, and, and I, I run into this sometimes where this might have been a pioneering type of a film that led to all of these other um, films where it becomes now uh, predictable to, to take a look at a plot like this. But even the idea of, okay, uh, a rich uncle hires his nephew, like that's always they always talk about that. Oh, somebody's nephew comes in and takes other people's jobs, you know, um, that that's in there. And I, I'm not sure how much I want to reveal about a lot of the stuff that happens in the third act here. Cause I'm not, again, the generational or a couple generations removed. I don't know how many people have seen this movie or some of the other movies that we're we'll be talking about it might be tough to avoid with uh, some of the, the other ones we, we talked about, but uh, Raymond Burr, this is another one where, I guess retroactively, I was kind of like, he, he's such a good actor, right? He comes in as a yeah. lawyer uh, towards the end. Um, but what was, I was thinking, he's great in this, but how often did he play a lawyer in his career? So yeah. I, like, <laughs> he has this case. Yet this was before Perry Mason. So, right. Um, it's not fair to judge the performance of the fact that later on a great chunk of his career was, was, was playing a lawyer, you know, it was a defense lawyer and Perry Mason as opposed to a, a DA in this one. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's the quality of actor in this film is, is, is high. And, and, and I just think, uh, you know, I, I think the, the scenes where Taylor is best, but everything that happens before she faints in that scene when she gets that bad news and she's trying to keep it together and she has her family together and everything kind of uh, walking up to the bedroom, all of that was very good. Um, I also, I, 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 even though, again, I feel like this is very much uh, the scene we would expect to see late in the film, but she has kind of her, her last scene with Montgomery Cliff is also very well acted. I mean, I think, this was a great stepping stone to what we would get from her later on. So um, it, it's not a bad performance. She, she's, she's very good. And um, it, it, as I said before, it's tough to move to that child star into being a serious actor in your twenties, thirties, forties, et cetera. Uh, and this movie had to happen. And I don't think she had confidence in herself as much then and George Stevens really helped her along and I guess his method of direction at that time when we talked about giants that's later on and that becomes a whole different thing um but he I guess he would they would rehearse and he would shoot something like the second or third rehearsal and he didn't have the actors worry a whole lot about the dialogue he would let them improvise a bit and he would shoot that one and then they would work with what they had improvised a little bit more before they would actually shoot the real thing. But it sounds like he was, he let the actors do their job there. That wasn't the case with a lot of directors at this time. Yeah. Um, and so Taylor, I think felt safe in the sense that she could contribute what she could and make the character her own. And she wasn't being told you're doing it the right way or the wrong way but it was always this kind of nice collaboration. And I think that's the case with the great directors uh, that we're talking about in this episode who, who worked with her, even though when they're, she's farther along in her career, she's a little bit more confident in what she's doing. And um, so sometimes the, the directors, 
had a slightly harder time working with some sure. antics, as good as she she was. So, uh, but this is one where she was very hungry for I need to be taken seriously. And her and Montgomery Cliff were dear friends. I think uh, which role? I think he nearly got the reflections in the Golden Eye role, but he mm. sadly died just before yes. that. And you know, we're, we're talking about a few actors who kind of had a bit of a tragic life because well because of their, their personal lives, but on screen, they were just so dynamic. So. Yeah. They, they had a great relationship. They were friends until the end of his life. She three, was a three big advocate. Yeah. I'm sorry. Three movies they did, I think together. Yeah. Think yeah. Three. And she would often, she would advocate for him to get roles. If she signed on to a project, she would yeah. put him forward. She was, she was a, a dear friend to him. Yes. And, and, and yeah, he had a very tragic end. Yeah. And actually, his his accident happened. It was either leaving or arriving at her house. Should be. I think it was leaving her house. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I mean, that kind of followed Liz Taylor. She had so many. We're gonna be talking about a movie where one of her husbands died, just yes. as she was starting to to shoot the a film. And I mean, I just uh, yeah. Anyway, I, and I mean, I never met her. I wish I had. Uh, she she just always seemed like such a sweet kind person so uh um and the fact that she you know she tried her best to take care of the people who were respectful of her because there was quite an age difference i think he was um he was about 30 ish or something when when they shot this and she was 17 yet they're kind of the that was the case in hollywood at the time that was about the yeah. average age gap of the romantic leads but uh yeah still is um, in a lot of cases yeah <laughs> I, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but again, with Winters to me, uh, and I, I, from what I could tell, she loved doing this film and she fought hard to get this role. Uh, and I'm glad that she's in it. Um, she said the only thing that kind of happened, and I, I, I agree with this, is a bit because they had to deglamorize her and next to Elizabeth Taylor to yes. create that contrast. She got a little bit typecast as as the other woman. And I think going up to like, uh, when my early shows, I reviewed Kubrick's Lolita, um, where that oh, case was, yes. you know, that was a tough role to play for her, but she got a lot more of those roles as opposed to the roles that Taylor had had. If I was to go back in time and we got a studio that would actually take risks, wouldn't it be fun to see the switch? Oh, absolutely. Slide? the the working class role which i think she was attempting in not not always but she was attempting in some films a bit later on and having shelly winters as you know the uh the the rich glamorous uh that that could have changed both of their careers i think you know so but yeah that it's interesting to think about an alternate universe where yeah. that's how it went down those different directions because yeah. i agree with you shelly winters is is incredible in this film and and her role is oh your heart just breaks for her yeah. you know it's and, just it's a lot of really impassioned scenes and i still and like she's, and i still like montgomery cliff's character like you you, you somehow yeah. are going on this journey where as horrible as everything and his thoughts are you kind of want him to come out on the other side of this as well too like there's we're trying to solve this problem as we're watching it. And that's a very effective film when, 
but there's a inevitable tragedy that we're, we're, we're going towards here. And it's just, uh, just, it's just too bad, but yeah. yeah. Well, the novel that we feel most sorry for, we have to feel the most sorry for her. I mean, absolutely. She was wronged. It's totally (laughs) wrong. Um, The novel this is based on is titled an American tragedy. It is. And there was an and earlier I, film, right? There was a 1930s oh, I haven't I, I seen. I think there might be. Yeah, it, I haven't seen it either. It bombed, apparently. And so they were nervous to use the same title. So that's when mm. The Place in the Sun, uh, I think, is this the one? I read so much in all these films and some of the stories are blurring together. I think there's an associate producer who came up with the title or something. I, I might be wrong mm. about that. But they didn't want an association with the the previous version of the story because it had not gone well. Yeah. It didn't go well. Yeah. I interrupted your thought there about the novel though. Oh no, just that I, I think it's another one of the bold things about making this film and, and the subject matter and the themes it's exploring is that to your point, we do feel for Montgomery Cliff's character. And we feel for each of the characters because they're all stuck in this impossible situation. And the situation is made impossible because of these societal expectations around sex and marriage and virginity and virtue and, you know, religious ideas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and every single one of these characters is sympathetic in their own way because they're they're caught in this situation that's created by the society that they live in and no one is is coming into this with malicious intent they're just kind of stuck in these really bad situations that people get stuck in sometimes you know yeah and the fact that they were able to release this in the 1950s is amazing to me i mean early 51 yeah, this was, you know, this wasn't the movie. There's a movie we're going to be talking about, which blew up the censors um, for cinema and kind of changed some things and created a, was one of the ones credited with creating a rating system. It wasn't this one. But yeah, when I was, when we get to the scene with the doctor, which I keep going back to, but I, I think that might, might be my favorite scene in the movie, actually. I, I was like, okay, they're going to, to water this down somehow. They're going to find some way to make it sound like it's about something different. And they don't really, I, yeah, they, they don't. Yeah. It's, it's pretty clear Yeah, what they're discussing and the, and the tension in that room between her not wanting to come out and say exactly because it's embarrassing. She feels humiliated and mm-hmm. she doesn't want to be judged. And the doctor well, I mean, it's dangerous. He's dancing like around things, but it's clear. To be arrested, I mean, for yeah, even saying it out loud too. So it makes sense that she's not saying it directly. What it what it is, you know, they 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 make it work. They make it work well, and yeah, I think that that concept of Stevens. I think in, in the two films we're talking about about the class issue, I think that plays heavily into Giant as well, um, which is a a much bigger. Uh, film but it, it you know um no less effective than than this one in uh in a kind of a tighter timeline there so i would encourage people to check out a place in the sun and again my my criticisms of it are probably more about the time i'm living in and that i've watched too many movies 
maybe. Uh, <laughs> anything to do with the, the, the film itself. It's pretty minimal. I'll, I'll, I'll have some other movies I'm talking about where I have more specific uh, criticisms that, you know, not to the point where I would ever suggest anybody not watch a film, but I, I, this one's kind of in the middle, somewhat in the middle of the pack for me, I guess. Yeah, I, and I think that's fair. And it, there's no way, I mean, we can try when we go back and watch films from another era to put our mindset back, try and think of it within the context. But on some level, there's no erasing all that history and all the movies you've already seen and everything that might have come from similar influences, things you, you know, there's just no way no. to turn back that clock. Not really. No, we do our best. No, we do. And if it's well executed, even if it is, uh, feels familiar, then it's, it's definitely worth uh, people's times. Absolutely. Yeah. We are in agreement on this one. Taylor. Firebird is a stallion. Brando. You disgust me. Elizabeth Taylor. Have you ever been collared and dragged out into the street? And thrashed by a naked woman. Marlon Brando. I swear I'll do you! Reflections in a golden eye. A story that shows you what people do to each other. In the name of love. Reflections in a golden eye. Stars the Elizabeth Taylor who showed the world what a woman really is. Reflections in a Golden Eye stars the Marlon Brando who has shown you how powerful and dynamic a great actor can be. Reflections in a Golden Eye, directed by John Huston, who has directed some of the finest motion pictures of our time. Taylor Brando. Now, a love story may never mean the same thing to you again. Lousy bastard! Beating my heart! The Major, he knew what his wife needed, and it wasn't him. I think you'd better go up to your wife's room. She's not alone. My husband is with her. The Major was everybody's idea of how tough and cool a military man should be. Until those few seconds when he thought he was going to die. When he saw what he was, what he wanted, and what he'd have to do to get it. Leonora. The kind of woman every man can have. Except her husband. Leonora isn't only deceiving her husband. She is deceiving you too. With an enlisted man. Williams, the enlisted man. Who knows all about one kind of wild animal. Now he will discover another kind. Langdon, the colonel. Who have the roughest job in the army. Taking care of the major's wife. Not here now. Allison, the colonel's wife. She does not desire. She does not lust. She watches those who do. These are the people who see what they love and what they hate in reflections in a golden eye. This is what happens to people who cannot help the things they feel or the things they do to each other. These are the stars who have never done what they do now in Reflections in a Golden Eye. Suggested for mature audiences. Leave the children home. I'm going to refer to Reflections in a Golden Eye as an interesting mess. <laughs> it, it is certainly, at times, I feel it's, it's a mess, and 
towards the end leaves me kind of confused, but in the best possible way because it is definitely interesting. So we just talked about a movie where I could kind of predict the story beats as we went along. I, I, I'm still thinking about and reflecting <laughs> on Reflections in the Golden Eye about, about this film. And, you know, I've watched a lot of uh, John Huston movies, but this feels like a, other than maybe the setting, this feels like a bit of a different one from him. Um, as I understand it, and I don't know if the, the, the version you watched had this, apparently there are two versions, one with that really that golden tint to the cinematography. And then there was one where I think at the time as the film was released, some people weren't getting it. And then they, they did something different with the colorization of it. And which one did you watch? I have never seen the golden version. Oh, shoot. Oh. I have never seen the golden version. Someday I will track that down. Okay. I, um, I, 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 watched, watch? I watched the golden version and it is so cool. I mean, that was the first thing I noted. <laughs> um, first thing strengths in my list of notes, cinematography. Um, and then I mentioned the music score. Like it was starts. It, it the score is amazing. Right, right from the beginning. Again, where this is, we're dealing late 60s here, so you can get away with a little bit more. There's there's some nudity in this film. Um, uh, at the time, I think people were maybe fooled into thinking that Liz Taylor had done a nude scene, but it was a it was a, a body double, I think, that did her, her her scene there. And just kind of pairing together Elizabeth Taylor, who's um, with another movie star. There's no doubt Marlon Brando was a movie star, but he was such a known as a New York method actor um, and putting them together with John Houston, who is kind of in his own universe. It's just such a strange cocktail. And then I got immediately excited when I saw introducing Robert Forster um, and his character in this movie is so weird and uncomfortable. <laughs> And so I guess the whole thing happens. It's in a military base. Marlon Brando is kind of the uh, the head poncho here. And he does um, training and teaching at this military academy. And his wife is Elizabeth Taylor, who has a few extracurricular activities. She loves horses. But she also, uh, um, very early on, we discover, is, uh, is interested in another one of the uh, – uh, the military men um, who, and then that guy's wife has some mental health uh, issues um, as we see in different scenes, but in some ways does she, or the fact that she's aware of what is going on, is that affecting her mental health? And then it's, you know, and that's, that's another one of the characters that we, I think feel quite sorry for um in this film and brando it's funny how brando was the fact that he's playing but i i'm trying to remember in his backstory if his father or somebody in was his family was a military person so i think he may have been channeling some of some of that here um but very rigid in how things are supposed to be in order in his life and he can't stand anything that is out of order and um, doesn't relate well to his wife. 
And this is all kind of, uh, we, we can see that this is going to go in a bad direction. But Robert Forster is this young private who um, is really good with this horse, uh, Elizabeth Taylor's favorite horse, who's who has some, some trauma, right? And she's pretty much the only one who can um, ride this horse. And he's the only one who's good at taking care of it. But and is given this other this other job to do by Brando, and he he suddenly seems fascinated by, by their life, and um, I, I think by Elizabeth Taylor, and he essentially stalks them. He he sneaks out every night, stands outside of their house, finds an easy way to sneak in, and he appears to spend hours in the bedroom without. <laughs> either of them noticing yes. for the majority of the film. Um, and that's, you know, that's, these are kind of all of the ingredients of this thing. So I, I have my things I, I, I love about it. I have the things I don't like about it, um, including, unfortunately, this uh, Zorro David character, um, who's a, this Filipino character who is kind of a, spiritual assistant or something to um to the other the other uh uh soldier's wife who is uh finds it tough to kind of leave the house and and, and do anything else but feels safe with this guy i just kind of found that character a little bit too colorful and a bit over the top for my liking um which is too bad because it's like this movie doesn't have a whole lot of representation i i, I guess um uh, beyond uh, white folks, for lack of a better term, there. Um, but yeah, I just I found his scenes very distracting. But I can't not like this film because it feels like some sort of a big swing that almost hits. It doesn't quite hit. And again, this is in a completely different way. This is kind of in the middle of the pack for me. But I, I still would recommend that people check it out because it's kind of of its time, but if humanly possible, see it with this golden tint because maybe it's not for everybody. It might be annoying for some people visually, but I, it worked for me. I, I, I just loved it. It just, it looked like a, a visualization of the times that it was, when I think of aspects of the late sixties, I just think of this, this golden era and this, this hue over the whole thing. That was such a, such a risk. Um, it's too bad they didn't, they'd compromised on that and they went for a more traditional look. I haven't seen the version with the more traditional look, so I can't comment on that. So that's where I'm going to. The color is beautiful. Is it? Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I'm interested. I am going to track down the, the gold tint version because that was what John Houston wanted. That, yes, that was his artistic vision. So I would like to I would like to see that version, but I can tell you, if you watch the version that's you know the more traditional color, it is gorgeous. Good. It's beautiful. Good. Good. So I think, folks, either version that you watch is going to be stunning. All right, that, that, that's good to hear. I, I just sometimes I I get my uh, I get my boxing gloves ready when I hear that a director's vision has been compromised and yeah. I'm, I'm less, you know, happy about, in some cases, actually, the director's, uh, the, the studio cut is better than the director's version, but I, I can't imagine that, that 
being the case here, but it sounds like it's it's great either way. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about supporting the Apple organization, but it, it was through the iTunes that this is one of the ones I have mm. as a digital copy that ha- had this version. It didn't it didn't have I don't think it had the other version. So oh uh, nice. And I, I feel like there were maybe been some physical releases that had both versions. There might have been a, a DVD or something, but whether that's out of print or not, it's so tough to track these things down these yeah. days, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are your other thoughts about this? I love this movie. Yeah. And I was late to the party on this one. I only saw it for the first time in recent years. Mm-hmm last few years and i was a big fan of john houston as a director yeah i think he's incredible so gutsy i the the juxtaposition of this this very hard rigid repressed brando the character <laughs> he's playing here as the major penderton and the wife, played by Elizabeth Taylor, she is fiery. She's loud and brash and free-spirited. And she's kind of got that Southern Belle thing, but with an edge. Yeah. And this this film was kind of campy. Yes. I, I would agree, yes. And melodramatic. And some of the scenes, the performances are over the top. I love it. This movie is like a roller coaster ride of emotions. The really tense scenes where Robert Forrester's character of Private Williams is stalking their house and just watching from the tree line. Very eerie. It is. And the score really adds to it. But then you get scenes where I'm just gonna spoil this, folks. I don't care. I have to say it. Yeah, spoilers if, if you know. <laughs> Pause it, watch the movie, find a way to watch it, then come back if, uh, you know. Yeah, please, please do. Like Robert Forrester riding horseback nude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that just happens. Out of nowhere, you're like, wait, what? It's... <laughs> this movie is is wild. I yeah. think it's, and it's also incredibly bold because one of the things about the drama that unfolds on this base and between this married couple is that Brando's character is a gay man who's living this homosexual life that is not authentic to himself. He's attracted to Robert Forrester's character. Robert Forrester's Mm -hmm. character is attracted to his wife. And so there's this, there's these dynamics of Mm -hmm. his longing and his repressed truth yeah and he's living with this woman who's very open about her sexuality yes. and you can tell that their marriage is pretty much a sham it is, yeah. <laughs> and and then you have the private who has his own longings in the form of voyeurism it's there's so much going on in this film yeah the parallel is brando does his own voyeurism when he follows Forster, yes, Derek's, and but he keeps talking about the good old days when he was a private and all the yeah they were all together. The and, camaraderie of living yes, in the barracks. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, and without yeah I, again this is another one where it's so, um, 
it's shown it's not set, you know, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, I still feel like late sixties as progressive as it was, the censors weren't going to, to, to go for that. Um, unfortunately. And I think this, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure there was a, there was maybe one take where I thought Brando was a touch over the top, but mm. a, a lot of it I think was actually very, um, controlled. Like he does this, um, there's a speech he, he does when he's, uh, one of the teaching scenes and, um, Houston thought it was perfect and Brando wanted to do it one more time and apparently made it even better. So then they went to the cutting room and they had like these two amazing versions of the scene and Houston didn't know which one to include in the film. But there's, yeah, this one beat where Brando starts screaming like, I'll I'll kill you or something like that. And I just feel like it was maybe a bad edit or something that Mm. was actually built up, but whatever was happening before didn't work. It was maybe not Brando's fault, but yeah, there's, there's stuff in there that's kind of odd, but I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't wincing thinking things were that over the top. Um, I guess, you know, maybe it's not right. Each one I'm kind of going like, what was my favorite performance? Uh, and I wasn't sure I was going to get there at the beginning, but I think it was actually Brando. I think Brando, mm. and this was about the time when he came like kind of considered a has been like, they really had to campaign to get him, cast in the the godfather and it just seems strange to me because what was wrong with what he was doing kind of between on the waterfront to the godfather like there you know he took some big risks with directing projects and other ones and some worked some didn't but and to me this was a a risky um a, a risky choice and something that wasn't like a a, a standard film at that time but he he was very good in it, and I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't quite get it. I, I get some of his shenanigans later in life, why he was sure. difficult to work with, you know, and demanding a million dollars to do a, a one day shoot for different things. But, but at this time, I, I, I still think he, he was excellent, and this was not. To me, if I'm casting this movie, I'm not thinking of Marlon Brando right away, but he made me totally believe in this character. And it's just the subtext is so interesting in in his scenes. You know, he's just a fascinating actor. And this is one where I'm, again, I'm a little bit, it's kind of similar to A Place in the Sun with my feelings about Taylor's performance. Um, I think like this is a edgier Liz, uh, Liz Taylor um, and more experienced screen actor by this time. Um, but I think everything in the movie was well within her capabilities. There, I don't, I didn't see anything that stretched her as much uh, yet. It's, it's still a very good performance. And I, I think, you know, her and, and Brando were just terrific together, whether, and I didn't read anything about them not getting along. I think they're fine. I, I don't think it, like, this is, this is, I guess, as I said, she wanted Montgomery Cliff to, to play this role, which would have been amazing. I think that would have been, you know, great, maybe on the nose type of casting, but it would have been, it would have been great. And then unfortunately he died just before, but uh, it sounds like um, John Houston was, was listening to Taylor and with who should play the role and, 
Richard Burton's name was actually in the mix and they were still married and she didn't want Burton to play this role. So, and I'm so glad he didn't, I, I don't think it would have been a good choice. It, it just, no, I, I, I don't know. I, I can, I can see clipped. I can see some of the other names mentioned. I just don't know. And I don't know if that was maybe his bitterness because he didn't have nice things to say about John Houston and some of the people involved with this film. Mm. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a really unique one and one that just has never been on my radar and all of the films that Elizabeth Taylor did. So uh, I'm glad that it worked out to include it in this episode. This is like a kind of a diamond in the rough type of a film that I'd, yes. I'd love to people to check out. So I, I was so excited to see this one on the list <laughs> because it is, it's, it is a diamond in the rough. It's it's very unique. And it's that it's that perfect witch's brew of John Houston and his kind of renegade tendencies yes. and this provocative story. And then these stellar performances. I think Brando works so well in this role at this point in his life. He's you know, he's he's a little bigger. Yes. And so he's got this very solid, very, this is real solid build. He's a mm -hmm. big man. Yeah. And, and that works really well for this character that is trying to project all of this strength, but inside is like seconds from falling apart because he's living this lie. It's a great, I mean, it's it's just beautiful. And I think the thing I love about Elizabeth Taylor in this is that she's clearly, because at this point, 67, she's in her late 30s. Yeah, she, she was still pretty young, I think. Yeah. Um, but she's, you know, so she's gorgeous. And at this point in her career, she's not afraid to be play these very sexual characters. Yeah. And this character, it's like, She's there's something about her outbursts mm -hmm. that is all at once like, yes, go for it. Tell him. And at the same time, you're like, oh, but I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end. <laughs> Some no. of these tirades, you know, <laughs> she's like this very extreme character. And, and Elizabeth Taylor, with her very striking look and the way she's able to deliver lines with this barbed tongue is just uh it's it's just so fun to watch i i think of the party scene when she finds out that that you know <clears throat> that he he rode her favorite horse and then and then whipped it you know and 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 injured and and she just lets him have it and embarrasses him in front of everybody um you know that's that's a, a very effective scene i think you know um it is and, and shows how great she is and and she just has this presence like early on we're interested in in what she's doing like at first i was like oh another movie where she's riding horses like she had said horses were a big part of the movies from when she was a girl all through her career here but uh but Ed, that, that worked really well i'll mention some um nerdy trivia as well here um you were just mentioning how Brando looked, and he looked bigger but muscular. Yes. The film. And the shots from this movie were, they were the shots 
the dossier in Apocalypse Now. Mm, yes. Uh, because famously he showed up <laughs> way overweight on that set. And I completely, I'm going to have to watch it again. I missed this when I was reading up on it. Apparently Harvey Keitel, this was his first screen performance. He's one of the soldiers mm. somewhere in there. But I, I missed seeing him. You know, and he was he was originally in Apocalypse Now. They kept trying to make these these uh, comparisons between the two. So look hard for uh, young Harvey Keitel somewhere somewhere in the in, in the movie as well too, because that's I talk about Robert Forster, but I mean the impact of Keitel and his career. I don't think we'd yeah. have Scorsese or Tarantino if it wasn't for Harvey Keitel as being uh, the muse for both of those guys early in their careers there. So. This would reflections in a golden eye would be a really interesting double feature with Apocalypse Now. It would be, yeah. I to think about the order because hmm. Apocalypse Now is so exhausting. <laughs> I, I think I'd have some sort of a break in between. I yeah. think I'd, I'd have, you know, I'd have Apocalypse Now first, have a little bit of let's like take it half an hour or an hour to have a lunch or something like that, and then. They go back and, and then watch Reflections in the Golden Eye. And uh, I think that would be a great day of, uh, of cinema there. Yeah. Oh, it would be so good. Anything else you'd like to say about Reflections in the Golden Eye? I just love it. And if there's anyone listening that hasn't seen this one, do yourself a favor. I feel all the time like a cat on a hot tin roof. Then jump off the roof, Maggie. Jump off it. The Tennessee Williams Pulitzer Prize winning play unfolds with a shocking impact and uncompromising realism that makes its author the most talked about dramatist of our day. Elizabeth Taylor is Maggie the Cat, a girl too hungry for love to care how she goes about getting it. I don't mind making a fool of myself over you. Well, I mind. I feel embarrassed for you. Feel embarrassed? But I can't live on this way. Now, you agreed to accept that condition. I know I did, but I can't, I can't. Paul Newman vividly plays the emotionally tormented football hero. But how in hell on earth do you imagine you're going to have a child by a man who cannot stand you? Burl Ives is a sensation portraying Big Daddy. I'm going to pick me a choice woman and I'm going to smother her in minks and choke her with diamonds. Judith Anderson plays Big Mama. When a marriage goes on the rocks, the rocks are there, right there. Jack Carson gives vigor and color to the role of Gooper, the older brother. I don't give a damn whether Big Daddy likes me or don't like me. As far as I've ever seen this place run into the ground by a drunken ex-football hero. You shut up about my husband. You shut up. Madeline Sherwood portrays Sister Woman, the role she created in the play. Oh. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is the passionate story of the conflict between people. You and Skipper and millions like you living in a kid's world, playing games, touchdowns, no worries, no responsibilities. An intimate revealing story of the conflict within people. Maggie! Maggie, the cat is alive! I'm alive! I'm an enormous Tennessee Williams fan. There's something that, you know, doesn't feel right to me about the fact that 
I love Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, the film version, because Tennessee Williams was very unhappy with this film. But all that said, I this is the one I talked about that I had a like such a positive feeling about, and it actually was even better on this recent rewatch than um, before. So it's it's going to get quite a few points from me. It's Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor together. That was just a match made in heaven. Essentially, Paul Newman is <clears throat> this former great football star in his town, and he's an alcoholic. He, you know, he is drinking to deal with some trauma, but outwardly, people are not quite sure what that is. He's married to Elizabeth Taylor, and they've come back home for his father's 65th uh, birthday, played by Burl Ives. And I think Burl Ives is underrated in this movie. He he wasn't somebody who got, I don't think, any Oscar attention or anything for this, but I think he, he's very good, kind of in second and third acts of the film. And we're, we're taking a look at the dynamic in their relationship where Brick, played by Newman, you know, he is more interested in drinking than he is in showing any affection to his wife, played by Taylor. And she's trying to get affection from him. And this deals also a lot with this societal pressure about, oh, you've been married for a while and you don't have kids. Oh, and there must be something wrong with her. Couldn't be anything wrong with him. What is missing, and I think Newman found ways, because he was a big, like he's friends with Tennessee Williams. He found mm-hmm. some ways. He was, he was pissed off with this exclusion of this major theme um, from the play to, to the film. But again, they were concerned about the censors, the fact that Brick is gay. And he's, his, his life, he's living a lie. And he's lost his soulmate, who was one of his former football uh, football player died by by suicide, and this is the thing that is causing him to drink the loss of the love of his life and kind of seeing, you know, he's stuck in this loveless marriage, uh, and and then having to go through the facade of this you know pretty wealthy prominent family and also being this hometown hero and all the pressures connected to that, that is missing. But there are some moments that Newman includes which still suggests to me that he is playing the subtext that he you know that he's not attracted to women the end of the film does something a bit different with that so kind of take it what you will if you only had watched the film you didn't know anything about the play probably audiences at that time and maybe even audiences now wouldn't pick up on on that undercurrent there so so that was the kind of the biggest divide there but Man, the dialogue is so good. And you have talky, long talky scenes. But these actors who are also movie stars are so great at delivering them. And this is one where I, this is where I saw, like, this was the, Elizabeth Taylor still very, very young in this film. Not as young as she was in in A Place in the Sun and in the earlier films. But you could see how much she's grown as an actor. And the two of them gave, like, Oscar caliber performances. And, you know, in those George Stevens films, other people got Oscar nominations, but Taylor didn't. She got a nomination for this one. And if she hadn't, that would have been just um, a travesty here. Because those two, and then Ives towards the end, like the acting is so good. 
I, and each scene is, 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 is amazing. And we also have his, his brother and his brother's wife and, and all of these kids, right? And they're there. They're all sucking up because, you know, early on, uh, there's some confusion about it. But the truth is that Big Daddy, played by Burl Ives, he is, he is going to die soon and who is going to get in charge of the company and 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 get wealthy and it's so sickening to watch this other couple particularly you know the the sister-in-law there suck up to big daddy and look at have these kids lined up like the von trapp children singing to him and he's he has no time for any of this stupidness too and you know, there's it deals with sibling favoritism and all of these dysfunctional family dynamics are in there. But those kids are so annoying. <laughs> and that family is so annoying. They achieved that so well. I was just like, yeah, can, can we get to the next scene? I want to go back to, you know, the others because they're way, way, way more interesting than that. But you, you need that that contrast there. So I, I think most of the notes of the film worked really well for me um but I, I do wish they had taken that risk and taken a little bit more of the swing and then maybe it's not fair to compare it to reflections in the golden eye which but even then it was still somewhat suggested but they they went a step a step farther with what they you know what what you could do here but yeah i, I just and i don't I, I didn't get the the sense that they were pushing to keep the script as is I feel like they were like, oh, this, the studio's not going to let this happen. The censors won't let this happen. So why bother even trying? And so that's maybe a bit of a drawback as far as uh, the adaptation of it. But all that to say, I I still think it's a classic film. It's a classic for a reason. And I would wholeheartedly recommend that people uh, check this out. But I also wholeheartedly recommend that people... If you ever get the chance to see Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, uh, unfortunately, there's less Tennessee Williams plays being produced kind of around the world. But if you get the chance to see the, the original play too, please do it. I, I am an enormous Tennessee Williams fan. I'm a fan of the play. But I'm also a huge fan of this movie. So that's that's where I am with Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. What are your thoughts well, on it? I am right there with you. I, I also have that thing where I, I know that this major omission of the homosexuality in the in the characters yeah. and and the struggle of that that really underpins this entire story you know they had to really really scale that back make it very vague i do agree that paul newman and in his interactions with some of the you know especially with taylor some of those conversations, like the subtext is there. Um, and I know that Tennessee Williams wasn't happy about this adaptation, but I love this film. Yeah. It's one I rewatch a lot. I think it's one of Paul, one of my favorite Paul Newman performances. I think what he's yeah. able to convey okay. about alcoholism, about the tensions in this loveless marriage the tensions around the expectations of his family. His performance in this is amazing. Elizabeth Taylor, I think is amazing in this. And this movie I feel like is a, is a, is a turning point in her career where we're getting away from those, the very virtuous chaste 
trophy wife, young trophy bride kind of roles. And we move her into this one. There's they're meatier, they're juicier, they're steamier. She's more overtly sexual. And, you know, in this film, I mean, for her to play really a complex character, it's like you kind of get you get that sense of she entered into this marriage. It hasn't been what the, you know, the loving <laughs> marriage that someone would hope for. She has the added issue that she doesn't come from money. She grew up poor. Yes. She's married into this wealthy family. And there's very much this expectation of producing children. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that her husband, yeah, yeah, it looms large, and so she's she's not greedy in the same sense as uh, the sister-in-law may, but she she has grown accustomed to this lifestyle. She does like the position she currently holds and doesn't want to lose it. And so there's there's just it's a. Maggie the cat is such an interesting character there. And there's so much, there's her longing and her desperation and, and her determination too. There's some scenes where, well, when they mentioned the, the titular cat on a hot tin roof, you know, and brick asks her what the cat on the hot tin roof does. And, and she talks about just staying on, I guess, like her delivery on those lines. Yes. Oh, that was a great early, early in the film. I forgot how early yeah. that was. Um, it's it's interesting too, like how the casting all worked out. And I know there were lots of people considered for both of these roles. And but at that time, and I think you can make an argument now, people watching that movie would probably be sexually attracted to Paul Newman or Elizabeth Taylor and seeing these two together and the fact that they just are not, not having sex, you know? It's just like is maddening. It's 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 perfect in a way it is, yes. it is it is perfect in that way because you know it these are very prominent movie stars yes. and they were willing to play something again this was something that wouldn't have been talked about at that time when the movie came out this this kind of you know uh in the bedroom issues with with a couple that are struggling with this aspect of their lives and and it's right there on the screen with two of the biggest movie stars in the world in the lead roles. I mean, that there's something great about that. Yeah. Only, and it, you know, I've friends and I have joked about this, that like, okay, there's your subtext right there. This man is not attracted to Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's where if, if they're playing that he's <laughs> heterosexual, heterosexual, it's a disservice. Newman gets around it because he's such a great, so great yeah. in this role, but to take, out the fact that he's not attracted to women out of this, it, it makes the whole thing kind of strange. Like, I mean, maybe they're playing that, you know, he's impotent or something like, you know, they aren't talking about it in that way. They right. could do that, but it, it just doesn't completely make sense without that context. Um, but again, Newman, you know, when he gives the, the whole story about his friend and his friend's death and, um, I guess they play on this idea that there's this thought that Maggie had had an affair with his friend and that had ruined everything. And that's why he couldn't have sex with her or, or something like that. But it just feels more convoluted without Tennessee Williams' original context. Um, right, right. Sure. Without that being yeah. more 
plainly. And I just think if, if there was a, a lesser actor in that role, it, it, it would be very confusing. I agree. And yes. It had to be somebody who was an equal to Elizabeth Taylor, like in more ways than one, as far as being a major star and, and somebody like if it was a really good actor, but somebody who would be like, you know, Oh, really? I, str- I struck gold by being married to somebody like Elizabeth Taylor. It's not going to play. It's just not going to make sense. Right. You know, in the sense he's the football hero. He could have married any one of the local girls, but he, he found somebody from a d- different class. And it's interesting how many of the movies we're talking about deal with class issues. This is yes. another one that, that does. And, and there's definitely all the entitlement and all the, the, the pieces in there, which we're still wrestling with when we're looking at TV shows like Yellowstone and Succession. And all, you know, it's about like a patriarch who is uber rich and all of the sycophant children and in-laws that are trying to be the next one to take that power. But there is actual like genuine love and tension in that father-son dynamic, which so that scene in the basement is is so good between the two of them. And it's it's everything is believable about it, that it's all kind of come together as this and the and the fact that, you know, Newman would find out what's really happening before from they basically corner the doctor and get the the real story because they're telling everybody he's miraculously cured from his ailment, which is not true at all. And, and then they have to deal with this and they're the ones that are there. The other son isn't. And like they're, they're sitting in the parlor room, you know, berating Liz Taylor, uh, Maggie uh, through the scene and, um, and also dealing with the mother who's just like, she gets the news about what's what's really happening because she's totally bought this story that he's he's fine. So it it all kind of comes together. So many great scenes. The uh the there's the uh the dinner scene. There's so much going on there. Now this is the movie where Elizabeth Taylor, uh her husband had just died. And I I think then that dinner scene, she was really struggling and she wasn't eating much and like everybody was very concerned for her. And they said, you can sort of see in that scene, the actors are trying to protect her or they're, they're very concerned about her as well. And I'm just thinking going into such a, and these are all emotionally heavy movies that we're talking about, but to go into something that is that, that difficult and having to process this loss that she's just had. I mean, it's, that, that would have been very difficult. I mean, I, I think she had all great people around her, um, on that film and she delivers I, I agree I think it's one of her best performances uh, I don't think it's her best we're going to be getting to that in a, in a few reviews um, but I at this particular stage of her career I think this was her best work I, I know she and I haven't yet to this day seen Butterfly 8 Butterfield wonder, 8 or, sorry, Butter, yeah Butterfield 8 not Butterfly Butterfield 8 I know she won the Academy Award for it, but there were problems on the set. She wasn't happy with that movie. She and, wasn't, no. And like she kind of was polite about accepting the award, but she seemed a bit embarrassed by that film. I've never seen it, so I don't I don't know why, but there's there was kind of around this time. But I I I think of the ones I've seen, this is uh my favorite 
of this era of her career. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it's, as we touched on, like, this is a very pivotal point for her, I think, in terms of her, her skill and, and the types of roles that she'll get moving forward. Yeah. People knew that they could count on her after, after this. And I don't think it would have happened if it wasn't for a place in the sun. Yeah, no, I think you're right. She needed to do that, and she needed to, you know, prove to these, the A-level leading actors and directors and studio ads that she had this in her, that she wasn't, you know, uh, not to sound dismissive of this, but she wasn't just kind of going to do family-friendly Disney movies for her her Mm -hmm. career. She, She could take on these works, and these adaptations are from the greatest playwrights in the history of Broadway. And she was able to take on these roles and um, were amazing. Masterfully. And Newman's one of my favorite actors. I've done, I, I, I have another one ready to go, but I have a, a tribute episode to him. I have a second one. I I just, he's, he's one of my guys there. And the fact that she was in some moments was able to even outact him to me, like she, she was ready to go. And whether it was all the emotional baggage of what she was dealing with, she was able to, put into this great performance. It wasn't just the material. Like she, she is like, I am an actor as well as a movie star and a, a fashion icon. And this, this movie really did announce that, I think. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah. So yeah, we're talking about great movies, but this one's going to score very high for me. Is there anything else you wanted to say? No, I think we covered it. I mean, I could go on and on and on forever about this movie. Talk about the movies you love, because it's like, this was great, and this was great. Oh, remember yeah. last year? But then it's, <laughs> as far as a review, then it's like, I don't know if we said, I, I guess, I don't know if we oh, said Here's something, I, here's something I will say. The, the, the choice to take the homosexuality out of the, the script, but was there anything kind of as a criticism you wanted to bring up? Um, I, I think for folks... I guess kind of piggybacking on that for folks who aren't aware that that's in the play and that that's missing from the adaptation. Like I have heard from people who found this kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Yeah. You know, so I, I think, and I can see that I can see that. And it, it's hard kind of to put myself back to the first time I saw it because I've seen it so many times now. But I would like to encourage anyone who maybe saw this once and was like, yeah, that's cool. But I was kind of confused. I didn't really get it. There's some things that didn't make sense to me. This is one that rewards a rewatch. It does. And I would encourage anyone who maybe saw this the one time and was like, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, there's some weird stuff in there. Watch it again. I think you'll have a whole new appreciation for it. A deeper appreciation with every viewing. And I knew about all this the first time I watched it, but on, on this rewatch, it was just better. Like, I think even if mm-hmm. you know about that or but I could see if you're confused the first time and then you have a little bit of that context, you enjoy it more. But I, I still think it's a very rewatchable movie in general. It doesn't matter what you know yes. about the background or, or don't know. I, I guess, yeah, I do want to, because I always want to balance my reviews out and I've been singing his praises a lot. And this isn't completely the fault of those doing the film. I I found the dramatic score a bit much, but as I understand it, there was a, a music composers or uh, film composers strike that was happening when this movie came out. 
if I have my facts on this right. Mm. And so then they had to find some old like MGM sure. to fill in <laughs> for it. But I, and I, I just don't think at that time they were, they, they had the guts to go just without a, a dramatic score. Right. And I, I do know Tennessee Williams plays rely on music quite heavily. So, but it just wasn't, the, the music didn't add anything for me. I think it was the, it's the nothing to write home about, was, but yeah, it just felt like a out of touch with the rest of the film, but not completely their fault. So, but that's, <laughs> that's pretty minor as far as, uh, as issues with the movie. Friend, if only you just see him. Look, whether this thing that you saw... A dead body. All right, a dead body. But that's not the point. You haven't been sleeping. You're nervous, on edge. Maybe I was being unkind in my introduction to Brian G. Hodden, who is the director of Night Watch from 1973. I'm just not as familiar with this director. And this is... This is the oldest movie that, or sorry, the newest movie that we're talking about. And so these are some years after Taylor's won her Oscars and, you know, has been able to go into slightly riskier material. But here, again, this is a, this was based on a play. Essentially, you know, whether it's horror or psychological thriller, but Elizabeth Taylor, uh, she, she's married to this man. Uh, She has this backstory. She had been married before. And her husband had died and the suggestion that her husband had been cheating on her and she has some trauma connected to that. Living in London and there's this creepy house that's, you know, behind their garden in the back uh, where there's this beautiful garden. And one night she thinks she sees this dead body just covered in blood. And so then they call the police and police start to believe her less and less because she keeps seeing something going on over there. And then it's like, oh feeling like she's kind of making these these crank calls. And she has a, a friend staying with her and her husband, and they are, you know, sympathetic and they are trying to help her, but they're starting to not believe her. And then there's some questions happening about this second husband and what's, you know, what's going on with him during the day? Is he going off to work? And her friend has this mysterious lover that they never met and so her mind is racing and what we're seeing is you know um before we get to and i'm not sure you can we could talk about revealing uh the 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 big plot twist here because there are a few twists here but i kept thinking to myself okay we're we're kind of looking at a a marriage of rear window and rosemary's baby which we reviewed um before and Gaslight, I would say Gaslight. Gaslight's like another great film in there, but we've already seen these classic films, and we're, we're this feels like we are, you know, melding a bunch of things which have worked before to try to make this work. But we have Elizabeth Taylor in here now for for this role, and then there's another. But to, I think it would kind of give away. There's there's another very famous film I think towards the end that is in, may inspire the plot twist, which uh, I, I just kind of won't won't say at this point but i've spent most of this movie so we might be in different places with this one <laughs> having problems with it <laughs> from, from, i'm not surprised I, I said like my first note i normally like this genre of film i i really do psychological thrillers and all that but 
it, this, I, I am trying to pinpoint why this movie was not working for me. And I think ultimately, in my long list of, of problems I have with it, I think some of them could be knocked off of my list when we get to that plot twist. Because I spend most of the movie thinking to myself, Elizabeth Taylor is actually giving a terrible performance. Like this mm. is the only one where I thought to myself, she is not giving a good performance. This is over the top. This is so, you know, everything is so melodramatic and I'm, I'm not really, I don't seem to be caring about any of these characters, which is, which is tough to get on board with. And I, I, I feel like I should be caring when I'm watching Rosemary's baby, I'm feeling so bad for Mia Farrow and why is nobody believing her and we're seeing all of this stuff. I, I didn't have any of those feelings for Elizabeth Taylor, Elizabeth Taylor's um, character throughout, throughout. So that, that was tough. The other thing, Lawrence Harvey, after reading about what he was going through at this time, I feel really awful that these are my thoughts, but I don't think I'm a fan of Lawrence Harvey. He he was my biggest problem when I reviewed The Manchurian Candidate. With that film, I, I love that movie and I love almost all the actors in it, but I, I had trouble with his performance. This was the one where I think the, the leading man wasn't at the same level as Taylor. Like Taylor is chewing the scenery and he's, he's just kind of there. Like it's not, and some of the other people that might've been up for this role might've been able to get there. Sadly, apparently he was battling cancer mm. at the time and he had to have a surgery and Elizabeth Taylor had some sort of a medical incident at the same time too. And, and there was some other thing where Lawrence Harvey's wife, they got into a fight and punched him in the face and he had this black eye and he thought he was going to get sued for breach of contract because he couldn't shoot the film. But, Taylor went off for a bit, so the film was delayed, and I don't know if that caused some some of the inconsistencies in here. And this, this is a very British film as well, and Taylor's playing a British character, and, and she always had a bit of an actory kind of British type of mm -hmm. affectation to her voice or when she was presenting in, in public, which I guess sort of works. But but I, I just had a bit of trouble kind of buying her in the, the role from the beginning. But if I'm trying to get this movie made at that time and Elizabeth Taylor is willing to do my movie, I'm going to I'm going to have to take Elizabeth Taylor and, you know, whatever she wants to do, I'm going to do. But these, these were, she's not working with, I think, a visionary director like some of the others who, you know, knew how to work with her, but also knew how to kind of get into professional conflict with her if something wasn't quite working. I think this would be an awesome play. Like I get the sense this would be an mm. amazing play. It was a play. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was a play originally, yeah. but I think it may be one that works better as, you know, in the, in the theater, like a theater as in. On a stage. On a stage as opposed to on, on the screen here. But you can feel free to disagree with me on all of these points because I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's some talent here and I've accepted other films with this kind of idea and less talent behind it, it's particularly with the lead character, more than I was able to get on board with this one. So I just don't know what my block is, but this is, this is the one I had the most trouble with, uh, <laughs> Nightwatch. I feel like there's a really good movie in here. So, you know, I, I have this habit of, talking around it when I'm really wanting to like a movie, but it just hasn't, hasn't hit for me. So, and it was a one-time watch. I've only watched it once. So I, maybe I need to go back to it. So, all right. I, you said you love all of the movies. I do. <laughs> so you're going to be its defender, right? I guess for this. Uh, I think Nightwatch, it's a mess, <laughs> but it's a really fun mess. It's <laughs> there's, 
you know, I think watching this, it gives me, there's aspects of it that give me the, the feeling of watching a hammer horror film or amicus. Yes. You yeah. know, those, True. those very British, uh, production studios that would do like horror films of the sixties and, and early seventies and that kind of Gothic aesthetic. There's a real, like the Gothic quality of the abandoned house next door and the garden, this British garden. And I just love that stuff. And even the way she's dressed, you know, in the seventies, there's kind of this like throwback to Victorian, you know, ruffles and high collars and things. And so this is not a period piece. It's supposed to be modern early seventies, but there is this Gothic quality to it that I just, I can't help myself. I love that. Yeah. Even though I think this is not as good as (laughs) hammer horror films or amicus. And that's what's hilarious. I I don't know if a younger generation, if they were to watch this, if they would get this. When you when it right when as the movie's opening up, you get this the brute logo, like brute by Fabergé. Yeah. Brute Productions. When I was growing up, like the brute men's cologne was a big deal. Yeah. Confession. It's actually still one of my favorite men's colognes. Okay. That dates me. <laughs> but even just considering that, like, what? This cologne company? What do they have to do with making movies? This is so bizarre. This movie is bizarre. And I'm with you that this is a thriller that is treading all too familiar ground. Early on in the film, you're like, some of this stuff is so predictable. Like, the way that you know her reaction to things and then the way that the husband and the friend and the cops are treating her and i think another thing i like about this is at this point in her career 73 uh elizabeth taylor's in her early 40s which i think today we all know is not old and (laughs) in the grand scheme of things not old she's still a very vibrant person but she is getting to that point in a, in terms of her acting career where they're going to start offering you the exploitation roles, you know, and there's a, there's a touch of that here. Well, there's but- a line where one of the cops says the cops are talking about these phone calls she's made and you know, that there's nothing at the house and she must be crazy. And what's her problem. And, and one of the cops says that her problem is money and menopause. And, and it's that whole like that line down there. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. You know, the middle-aged woman who's losing her mind. She's crazy. I I can't help but I love that stuff. (laughs) I love hagsploitation. And so this film is is moving in that direction. I but it is messy. It's very predictable. I I really enjoy Lawrence Harvey in other films. I think he's Mm -hmm. fine in this. And I think part of the reason why I I don't feel real strongly about his performance in this is because I don't feel very strongly about his character. His character's it's not, a pretty a flat yeah. one note character, you know, yeah. but the thing about this film is you got to get to the third act. And you mentioned this, like mm-hmm. the, the first some half of problems of this, disappeared when, when it's revealed. Yes. Some of my problems. The first, the of first half of this is pretty like, you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've seen a bunch of thrillers that are like this and this is nothing to write home about. It's as we move into the final act of this film that it really kicks into high gear and it gets very interesting. It brings the blood. I mean, it really brings yes. 
brings yeah. the violence, which, you know, earlier films in her career wouldn't have been able to do. So that's the oh, advantage yeah. of this being in the 70s. I, I feel like Taylor may have also done this because she was, I think there's a bit of an overlap with somebody like Betty Davis. I think she looked mm-hmm. as a little bit of a, a role model. And, you know, the roles that Betty Davis were taking in the 60s, right? This feels similar to that. Uh, yeah, idea. absolutely. Yeah. Hush, hush, sweet Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. And, know, baby Jane. And, and so trying to do something here, like moving into, she said, the, the child phase, the I'm hungry for great roles. And she's kind of in like the, the peak of her career. Then she goes like a notch above with some other roles kind of in the 60s. Um, and now she's trying to, and again, still very young, you know, we always think of her as being older than she is. And I think even that my comment at the beginning, thinking that she was much older than when she died at 78 or whatever, feeling like she was nearly 90 years old. Like she, I think she's always forced to play characters who are older than her. She, she's very young, but she's trying to work on some sort of like a bridge to the grandmother roles or something right, like that. Right, right. At, at that young age. And that's, you know, that's that's interesting when a lot of actors are hitting their peak at that time. She hit her peak earlier than that, for sure. And so so I don't really, I mean, I don't blame her for taking the role. I don't blame anybody for for, for casting her. I, I just, if I'm, I'm putting it up against the other, yes. the other five performances, this this is her, her weakest <laughs> of the five. Absolutely. Um, and as far as the leading man, man you know, I think I need to watch some more Lawrence Harvey movies to, it's just, it's not that I actively dislike him, but I just, I I just don't find of the British actors of that time. He just doesn't stand out. I mean, you know, uh, I think there could have been a ton of other people that like if they, unless they wanted that kind of a thing for this, this guy to be less interesting so that it's, you know, the Elizabeth Taylor show, that's maybe what they were trying to do. I don't know, but Again, of of the many great male actors we're talking about, this one is the weakest for that. And again, I feel like this is like a a journeyman type of, you know, director who comes in here, does the job, but is not probably the one who is kind of running things completely. When you have this major movie star and these other other people involved, it's kind of like doing it the way it's supposed to be done and then moving on to the next job. So... Uh, so nothing, nothing against him, and I, I think does some good things when we get inside that house, that creepy house. Yeah. But it's just like five seconds in, she she walks out there with the flowers and like, oh, this ominous music, and we're looking at this creepy house. Well, that's you know, great choice of a place to live there, you know. And then okay, that's going to be creepy because we're in a horror movie. Ooh. And then this overly friendly uh, gardener neighbor shows up. Oh, so he's going to be creepy. But oh well, you know. Uh, he is obviously the guy who's supposed to be doing all these things, but that happens like early, you know, again, the disadvantage of watching a lot of movies when we're finding in the second act or whatever, that he's the number one suspect. I don't think we're going to be uh, proven right in that one. I don't right. think the movie's going to be a lot shorter than I think it is. So yeah, I, I think people should see it. Cause I don't, I, again, this is kind of, kind of similar to reflections in the golden eye. I'm not sure a ton of people have seen this movie. And I think, right. I want people to see movies and judge for themselves. And if you think I'm wrong, that's that's great. It won't be the first time somebody's thought I'm wrong. But but yeah, I, I feel like I'm being a bit harder on this one. But I, I'm not sure if it, you know, 
sometimes if I'm a little bit harder on a movie, which is like a very low budget, bunch of people getting together on weekends type of a thing. But I still think that this had a, they had a budget. This was a, a studio film, I believe. I, I don't think it didn't have the epic scale of some of the other ones we're talking about, but I still don't think this was, you know, one that was at a huge disadvantage. Right. Maybe no, totally. some of the screenplay, it just is not as the material isn't as great as the other ones we're talking about. And that's, that's where it's going to be a little bit tough for me. No, I mean, I, I think that's totally fair. And but, and I, I anticipated that at the top when you were kind of talking about one of these kind of doesn't, not uh, not being up in the same caliber as the rest. Yeah. I, I, I saw this coming and I'm not surprised. And, and I think you, you're making a lot of very fair points. And, and I think they're all valid. Um, so here's something I'll tell you. So Lawrence sure. Harvey is the co-star. He's the leading man in Butterfield 8. Yes, that's right. They worked together before. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. So I, I would be curious to see how you would, how you what you would think about them together in that film. Okay. I will say too, for Lawrence Harvey, if you want to see Lawrence Harvey and, and, and see what the big deal is, I would suggest A Room at the Top, or Room at the Top, sorry. Uh, room at the Top from 1959 comes out of the the British kitchen sink realism movement. He's great in that film, and it's okay. it's an amazing film. That's yeah, I one I would, to, I would suggest. I'll add that to my list, because I just feel like I want to like this guy, you know? And yeah, I, Summer I just, and Smoke is another. I just haven't obviously watched the films that he was as great in, you know? Yeah. I mean, he, he had a... He had a decent career. I mean, he was one of the the go-to guys. And so, you know, and I mean, people like John Frankenheimer were casting him for a major, major film with Sinatra and Angela Lansbury and all these people. Yeah. It, he wouldn't have gone the role by accident. You know, I mean, that was a coveted role. I mean, that's, he is the Manchurian candidate. I, the, yeah. He's the final character in that movie. So, um, it, yeah, so I, I'll I'll be happy to check out some things, and then if I ever review another one of his movies, apologize. But <laughs> this is where I where <laughs> well, there's I no need to apologize. It's like well, you know you, you've where seen I am right, right now, and if you're he was coming sick, at this too. right now from your current experience of watching his films, the ones you've seen. But also, if he's sick, no. I feel bad too for criticizing yeah. performance when somebody's sick. That's a and and dealing with all of this other stuff, you know. That yeah, well, and if you've you watched know. the first time and you don't know that, you know, you're you're just going off what you're seeing on screen and not having kind of the behind the scenes context. People people go through stuff, but I, it was so funny though with Night Watch and Reflections in a Golden Eye. I was totally prepared to love Night Watch and have problems with reflect, Reflections in a Golden Eye, and it ended up being the reverse because I love the horror genre, and so it was interesting to me that the the one horror movie that we're looking at, arguably the one horror movie, the one that closest to being an overt horror movie is, is one I had trouble with. That's how it goes sometimes. So. That's how it goes. Anything else you want to say about Nightwatch? No, no, just that I, I recognize its messiness. I celebrate its messiness, but I absolutely recognize it's messy. It's a messy one. Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf? Virginia Wolf, Virginia Wolf. Who's afraid of Virginia? <laughs> 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 it's easy to talk about Warner Brothers' new motion picture, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? It's hard to tell about it. Easy to talk about. All you have to say is Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton. <laughs> Who's afraid of a
<laughs> He's the associate professor of history. She's his wife. The essence of Ivy League charm to students and friends who don't know them well. George Siegel, Sandy Dennis, are the newcomers led by their charming host and hostess to the hell that hides behind those ivy-clad university walls. <laughs> Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Well, I ain't not born. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Virginia Woolf, Virginia Woolf. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Edward Albee wrote the play, the most acclaimed work by this controversial author. Ernest Lehman wrote the screenplay. He did the same for West Side Story and Sound of Music. Mike Nichols directs. His unbroken series of theatrical triumphs have given him a position without peer or rival. All you have to say is Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, George Siegel, Sandy Dennis, Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. After that, all you can say is incredible. I am going to go start off with a bold statement here. The best movie we're talking about is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. This is, of the six we're talking about, this is the one I have watched the most. I have taught Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was teaching English classes, grade 12 English classes. I would have them read it. I would use the film version points and for the contrast. I, I, have, I have watched this a lot, yet it's one I discovered still kind of a, later than I would have liked. It was on TV some Sunday afternoon, and I was like, oh, I've always wanted to watch this. And I kind of came in partway through, and I was like, oh, everything about this is fascinating. Like, this is, this is so great. I, I don't completely get what's going on, but this is amazing. And then I sought it out. I finally got the copy of it, and... Uh, I actually familiarized myself with the Edward Albee play before I saw beginning to end the film. And it is just one of, I think, one of my absolute favorite movies. Definitely my favorite Elizabeth Taylor performance. But beyond that, like, everybody is great. And apparently this is one of the few movies that was nominated in every category it was eligible for at the Academy Awards. But I really love Richard Burton in this movie. This is yeah. my favorite Richard Burden performance. I wish, like, A Man for All Seasons was the big movie to win that year. And that's one I, I haven't watched all the way through. I, you know, it's uh, about uh, Thomas More or whatever. But as, as a contemporary film fan, I, I just, I, maybe it was too controversial, too dark. This is, this led to the rating system because it was released by Warner Brothers. There were a few tweaks here and there that they had to do, but they really most of the play ended up on the screen, which is absolutely amazing because this was yeah. so controversial, but it was the first one to say restricted, uh, no one under 18 is allowed to be at this at screens of this movie. But I think it should have swept the awards. I think it, should, it, it won, it did very well. Elizabeth Taylor won, and this is the role she wants to be remembered for, not uh, Butterfield 8. Um, and Sandy Dennis uh, won Best Supporting Actress. I, I think it's the best performance by George Siegel. Like, you know, seeing that very young, and we, we just lost him. He was kind of the last one of the team of people who made this movie who was, was still alive. And he was just so known as a uh, comedic actor, which works well with his material because some of it's very dark comedy, 
some of it's horror, some of it is tragic drama, but it's, it's yeah. so many different things. That's why I love it. But I never gave saw George Siegel give a performance on this level either. And Sandy Dennis, I, I first encountered her with the the original The Out of Towners with Jack Lemmon, which is a this kind of a diamond in the rough comedy I'm a huge fan of. And then I saw her in this, and she's fantastic. And that that honey roll, that's one that could be easily trampled on or lost in everything that goes on but she she did so much stuff and keep talking about personal tragedies that are happening she did this movie where deals with pregnancy and deals with children and all this she was pregnant when she started filming and she had a miscarriage oh. so the movie was ha- and and she had to she's doing like these monologues talking about not wanting a child and then in other scenes she's wanting a child that must have been just so tough for her to have to to do there. But and then my other stars. Can you imagine a better directorial debut? This is Mike Nichols' first film, and it's, it's incredible. almost perfect. It's yeah. almost perfect. You know, my only criticism of it, and this is the silliest of silly criticisms, and it is a difference from the play. The play is just at their house. For the film, they they leave the house uh, and they go driving, and then they end up in this uh, diner. Really late, it had been insanely late at night. I'm surprised it would have been open, but this, this older couple that are, are running it, where they're just causing this chaos during this kind of this dance bit and, and all of the stuff happens there. There's such uh, over the top uh, dated dance sequence between uh, Liz Taylor and George Siegel. When I would show it to students, they would just burst out laughing at how, how silly, especially George Siegel's doing some sort of ape move when he's. When he's right. When he's, but, but that that's the only thing that kind of takes me out of the out of the movie for a moment this is an absolute masterpiece everything about it is is is, is so good i'm gonna have you talk because that's all i'll be talking about is is <laughs> positive things i want to get my one criticism out of the way because i just love this film in a, a list of great films this is dominating with points so this is completely me showing all my cards early on here with another review after this one but who's afraid of virginia wolf is one of my favorites and i love it so you said you love all of them so i'm guessing you love this too and i do yeah. i do i think this film is incredible i think across the board the cinematography oh it's stunning it's gorgeous i think the score is great yes yeah just really punctuates things and sets a tone and and the performances richard burton is great in this this is he's so good in this role elizabeth taylor this is such a memorable performance and and this is one i i could see where i could understand why she would really want to be remembered for this one over some of her other roles because this character is so complex, so chaotic. And and this is one of those roles where the character is pretty upfront with her sexuality. Yeah. But Martha's not necessarily supposed to be a sexy character. No. You're supposed to be put off by her. And and so for her to be so forward Mm-hmm. is supposed to like kind of make you kind of jump back a little it's it's an inc- it's an incredible character and she just gives it everything she's got she becomes this character it's like when you watch i i feel like for me when i watch 
who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. I'm not thinking about Maggie and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Nope. You know, I'm not thinking about her as Angela in Place in the Sun. Like all of those very put together, very elegant characters she's done in the past, all of that melts away when she's playing yeah. Martha in this film. She is Martha. It's a big departure from a lot of the roles she had done previously. And this is one of the, I think, one of the most successful collaborations between her and Richard Burton on screen. Yes. They would do a lot of films. Yeah. And there are others that they were in together that I think are great. But even of those, none of them quite reach the the on-screen chemistry. And the and like the energy that they bring out of each other in, in this film. So I'm with you. This is a, an incredible film. This is one that I am less likely to rewatch though, because this marriage is so uncomfortable to watch. Oh, yes. This like one night in hell. Yes. George and Martha. It can <laughs> be, it can be difficult to sit through some of these scenes. Because these these people are just tearing each other apart, and they're just so vicious, mm -hmm. and and it's just it can be really difficult to watch them. That I'm less likely to rewatch this one, but that's not because of the caliber of the film. That's because it's so well executed that it puts you in that room with the tension and the awkwardness and. Things that you're like embarrassed for these people. I can't believe you said that and did that. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's incredible. I, and I, I would agree with you that if I have any criticism, it would be when they, when they take it to the diner, like some of that could be cut out. I don't, it's just not as necessary. It, it, it works but, in the play in, in their living room. Like that whole yeah. thing plays out in the living room. And I think they just thought they needed to get out of the house. And I mean, they do good. There's that uh, extended scene with uh, with Richard Burton and George Siegel, which is just outside by that porch swing or the um, tire swing there in that yeah. tree, uh, which was awesome. I just want to backtrack because I was so excited to review this. I didn't do anything about plot. <laughs> 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 this sounds really interesting, doesn't it, folks, if you haven't seen it? But, but <laughs> what happens is... Uh, Richard Burden is a professor of history in this uh, New England um, uh, college town, and he's married to the president's daughter, uh, played by Elizabeth Taylor, and they are a middle-aged couple, and they just come from a faculty event, which he hates these, she loves them. Um, and without consulting with him, she's invited this brand new young couple, uh, this professor who she thinks is in the math department, but he's actually in uh, biology, and mm -hmm his wife, um, who on the surface seems like uh, she doesn't really belong in a town of intellectuals, I, I, I guess, uh, you know. Um, and they, they come over and the, the fact that this starts at 2 a.m., you know, they've already been to the right. party right? and that's when the night gets started here. And so R Richard Burton, you know, he's George. He, uh, he wants to just, well, let's wind down and go to bed. No. The evening's just starting and we're going to have, and I, I think we're led to believe this happens a lot. I think this has happened yeah. before anytime somebody knew, and particularly if it's a handsome young 
professor. And so George Siegel playing, playing this guy that, you know, I, I think is, you know, he's an athletic guy and we're not sure like, what, like how is this being allowed to happen and this overt flirting with this young guy. And, but it, it really is, it's, it's how this very strange marriage works. It's how they keep their love alive is through playing these games with people who don't know them yeah. in this situation. And it, it just, it, there's a point early on where we think there's going to be an extreme amount of violence that's going to occur. And it turns out to be a joke. And it, it's a tricky thing to, to balance all of those notes. And Taylor is allowed to, you know, do a little bit of the acting Olympics in this role as she was given license to do in Nightwatch, which we just talked about. The difference is Mike Nichols is such a great director. He was able to use that and make it work for the situation and the character, whereas it felt I could see Liz Taylor acting in the other movie. Here, this is the character where you, where you totally believe that this is how she acts. We know people in life who are loud and boisterous and say inappropriate things. And she has a lot of power in this town too, because she's the president's daughter and she can pretty much do whatever she wants. Uh, and that's, that's talked about overtly. So that's, that's a general idea. And this is kind of almost the original one crazy night film because yeah. it goes on for hours of nonstop drunkenness and buffoonery and personal insults and power dynamics and like late late in in the film one of my favorite scenes which appears to be a quieter scene is after some things have happened um between george siegel and and elizabeth taylor they're in the kitchen and she's getting more ice because they're going to keep drinking until dawn here and he has not met her expectations and she quietly tears this guy apart after spending the entire night building him up as a god and this stud and the person who's in charge of the future because biology and all of the stuff with uh you know that, that's coming in the future this is coming out of the other piece with richard burden being a history professor is he he's distrustful of experiments being done by biologists because he's thinking of uh, the Holocaust and the atrocities from that. And here's somebody who wants to now bring that, those thoughts in to America and uh, using people as guinea pigs and creating a master race. That's all in the dialogue, all in the script. There's so many different things. I, like each moment, each scene, this is another one that I think could be a full episode, are, are, are so, so well done. But it, the entire time, George and Martha, even when it seems like it's out of control, this is all their plan. And, and we're watching Sandy Dennis and George Siegel, even when they think things are making sense or in control, they're never, they're never there. They are never, wow. Like, and everybody has a great moment. I mean, this, this absolutely, we, we just came off of a year with everything everywhere all at once sweeping the Academy Awards. And I'm happy for that for, reasons, uh, not the reasons of my personal preference of who should have won all the Academy Awards, but it's moving Hollywood forward. But this is a film that 
I think there was an argument it could have won all four of the acting awards. It could have won Best Director, could have won Screenplay, could have won Best Picture, as well as the Technical Awards. It was the last movie to win Black and White Cinematography. Mm. You know, and you think it's, it is, uh, it's based on a play and it's set mostly in this house and a little bit in this small town, which is not this big landscape that often like for to win a cinematography award, you have to have, but it was, it was so cleverly shot and Nichols was so inventive with what he was doing uh, with Haxel Wexler, the great cinematographer on this film that it's visually interesting. It would be tough. You, you, what, we've watched movies which are based on plays, which are a bunch of talking heads. This easily could have turned into that, but it moves. It has such an energy to it that it's, it, I, I think those who are adapting plays to film still need to watch this movie to see how to do it, how to do it effectively. And um, so, yeah, again, I knew I'd be gushing some more, but you know, <laughs> um, yeah, it, I, I was so excited to talk about this one, but I think feel like I'm monologuing about it more than talking about it. So, <laughs> like well, I love that you brought up that scene between Martha and and uh, the young professor Nick, I believe is his name. Yeah. That that moment where she turns on him, and where we kind of get that full you where you really come to understand the nature of the game, mm-hmm. and that even though it seems like she and her husband, George have been at odds the entire night, they were always on the same team. This is just how the game is played. And this poor couple showed up here and they're playing a game. They don't know the rules. They don't even know they're playing a game. And it isn't until that point where it's, they're starting to like, Oh, wait a second. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's an incredible film. It's amazing. I, uh, and it's, it's, it's one of the films from her, her career that I think really stands out is very memorable. I think it's one that most folks, even if they're not a big fan of Elizabeth Taylor would, would know that she did this film. It's, it's. How could you not love this performance? I mean, yeah, it's very memorable. How could her, she's a movie star. She's not an actor. I, I'd I'd show this to them and say, like, tell me what, okay. What about this was wrong as far as, I, I wouldn't understand any anybody criticizing this performance. And it's a nice, but, and like, I, I think Burden should have won Best Actor, but he wasn't as flashy. But everything mm. he was doing was so intentional and there's an intensity to it. And he's, he really is the puppet master here. You see how he's, he's the smartest guy in the room and he's manipulating everybody and 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 the whole situation and it it is it's so it's so good so i I wish he had been given as much credit as as she was given too they both deserved it but a couple more moments i want to like the the kicker to that scene after she basically tells nick that he's a he's a house boy right and like really Mm -hmm. uh does the opposite of what she was doing is she gives delivers this really touching monologue about how george is the only man who is hasn't disappointed her mm-hmm. all the things she's done to try to disappoint, but he's still there. He's still, and you, you see the love of this couple, but before they even arrive at the party, going back to the, the initial scenes of the film, that scene in the bedroom, it, it's also hilarious. Like she's kind of cleaning, but she's just throwing stuff under <laughs> the bed and, and, and different things. That, that, that business is, is, is great, but they, they have this moment where they are just insulting each other 
nonstop. And again, you're thinking like this is a really dysfunctional couple, but they both burst out laughing. Yeah. And then there's a little bit of a moment there. And this is kind of similar in a way to, um, to Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. There's a moment there then when she's wanting to show him some affection and he backs away and then he makes a sarcastic comment and then they're back to where they were. So th- th- there, are, there are issues in there. Um, and there's a whole other bit about their son who's turning 16 the next day yeah. and is supposed to be you know, showing up for his birthday. And there's a whole other bit there. I kind of mentioned it in, in relation to Sandy Dennis's performance there and, and their backstory about meeting, but that she had was described a hysterical pregnancy and that the one day this pregnancy just poof disappeared after, after he had married her because she came from a religious family and they were getting married. That's what they're going to have to do. Place in the sun. We're also talking about those themes. But some of the dynamics there, uh, when, again, I don't want to ruin it, but more people have seen this movie than some of the other ones we're talking about, but I don't want to ruin about like the kicker at the end there. But the fact of what, what happened with that one couple and then what's going on as far as children with the other one and how frustrating that would be and it adds to the, the dramatics and the antagonism which seems like it's a friendly party, but it really it is just kind of a war that's, yeah. that's happening. And and I don't think anybody necessarily wins at the end of this thing. It's, it's, it's really no. sad. The last scene is, is touching, but it is, is so sad. And the younger couple is limping off of the battlefield, and they aren't the same either. They are, you know, things have been revealed, and now this couple has so much power over them. You know, if they're trying to get farther ahead or double cross or whatever, they, they they have them there. So it's the power dynamics is so interesting in this movie from scene to scene, moment to moment. It's yeah, it's a great one. So and I, I miss Mike Nichols. I think he was he was almost I, I know he won an Academy Award for The Graduate, but I still feel like he wasn't as celebrated as as when we talk about, you know, the Kubricks and the Hitchcocks and the Spielbergs sure. and the Scorsese's, but it was very rare that he had a miss in his career as a director. And the fact that he was a comedy duo, that's how he got in in this world as a one half of a comedy team. It's just right. amazing to me because I started off knowing him as a director and he would, every couple of years, he would just have this solid movie right up until the end. Like his track record, I think Charlie Wilson's War was his last film. That's not his best, but it's a very good film. And yeah. later, closer. I think Closer is a good companion piece to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It, it deals with some younger characters, but it, it deals with the power dynamics in a relationship, and it deals with two couples, so effectively also based on a great play. So anyway, I, I miss Mike Nichols, and that's – I miss them all. I miss, I miss all yeah. the people involved with this, but I'm glad that this movie exists for me to watch as many times as I want. So, yeah. Absolutely. Anything else you want to say? I, Hopefully I'll let you get a word in edgewise. With this <laughs> no, you did. No, you did. And I, I mean, I just really echo a lot of your sentiments. I think it's amazing. Um, I, it is just a really incredible piece of work for everyone involved, everyone involved. This is a highlight, I think in their careers, it has to be. which you can't say about everything. Now, this is not my favorite Elizabeth Taylor movie, but it is one that I, 
I think is amazing. And I think she's amazing in it mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. And I get what you're saying about rewatchability. Not everybody <laughs> wants to revisit this level of dysfunction. <laughs> on a... <laughs> well, it's Friday night kids. Let's gather around and watch. Uh... <laughs> Which to be, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, there are plenty of films that I do rewatch that other people find hard to sit through. So it's just one of the, it's one of those things like you never know with a particular film, like how, how it will affect you mood wise, emotionally, like some things are, I think we kind of all assume are universally rewatchable. And there are other films that for some folks is rewatchable and for others, not so much. But in the case of something like this, it's, it has that has nothing to do with the quality of the film, you know? Well, I, I, I think that's the thing with some movies that we each think of as great. We don't want to revisit them on a regular basis, too, because sometimes that diminishing returns. Sure. Or just the content of it is just too tough to take, and you need to be in the right spot to, uh, to take it in there. So, And it's just I've taught this course where I have used this a lot. So that's, that's why I'm, I've watched as many times as I have, but yeah, I, I don't get sick of it. I, I left it to the end. It was the last one I watched because I wanted to give it some time and I, I wanted to give the other five a chance. But uh, again, yeah, this, this one would be, if I, if this was a dramatic five movies leaving my collection thing, I, I would fight hard to you know keep Virginia Woolf in my collection. is Texas, mighty colossus of the Southwest, a land of infinite variety and violent contrasts, a land where today's ranch hand can become tomorrow's multimillionaire. But more than a state, here is a state of mind, manners, morals, emotions, of people who are often as exhilarating, exasperating, exciting as the land they belong to. Out of this fabulous and tempestuous panorama comes a story of magnificent scope and great personal charm. A cavalcade that spans a quarter century of stormy passions, deep human understanding, and love. Always love. Powerful. Unquestioning. Constant. you're about the best looking gal we've seen around here in a long time i think pretty soon i think i've seen 
down here. Why, thank you, Jeff. That's a very nice compliment. And I'm going to tell my husband I've met with your approval. Oh, well, no, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, well, no, I... I'm a rich boy. Me, I'm going to have more money than you ever thought of having. Why, that's wonderful, Jeff. You sure do look pretty, Miss Leslie. You always did look pretty. It's pretty nice, good enough to eat. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute. 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 Wait a should have shot that fellow a long time ago. Now he's too rich to kill. As far as an epic scale, I almost feel like Giant should be the one that I am <laughs> praising on the level of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, this is one where, I, first time I saw it, I, I, I just loved it, and I was surprised by it. And I was, it's, it's a long, it's a three and a half hour movie, but it didn't feel like it. And I would say this, this time watching it, it didn't feel as long either. You know, it, it, it moves at a good pace. Again, George Stevens is a great director. He knew how to handle an epic film like this. I think some dynamics had changed. I think there were some things where his actors didn't always agree with what he was doing because he was he shot a ton of film, but I think he did this for all of his movies and he wanted every single angle for every single scene. It, was, it wasn't on like the Kubrick level of spending a month on one short scene type of thing, but uh, it, was, it was a lot for them and it was a very hot, Summer in Texas, uh, what they shot on location. But I, I still think it's a masterpiece, even though it, some things didn't hit as as well for me this viewing as it did the first time when I first dis was discovering the story. Essentially, uh, Rock Hudson is a cattle farmer in Texas who owns a ton of land. Apparently, it's like the equivalent of three counties yeah. in the state of Texas that make up his land. And he goes to do a, a deal to buy some horses. And he, and he meets Elizabeth Taylor, and they're, uh, I believe, in, this, in Maryland. Um, somewhere, I'm not sure it was Baltimore itself, but it was somewhere outside of that. And uh, the two flirt, and they fall in love, even though she has this other fiancé, who then I think just the younger sister <laughs> ends up ends with. Ends up with. As it was at that time, I guess. And then he, they, they fall in love, they get married, and she moves to Texas, and... And she's a bit of a fish out of water, and she has to deal with uh, Rock Hudson's sister, played by uh, Mercedes McCambridge. Not a lot of screen time, but got an Academy Award nomination. Very effective performance. Famously, one part of the voice for The Exorcist. Um, yeah. Linda Blair's character is not credited the way it should have been, necessarily. And she's the one who runs runs the whole place, even though it is, you know, the man is in charge of the ranch or whatever, and Rock Hudson comes back to discover 
to his chagrin that she has rehired this uh, troublesome young man who he doesn't like, played by uh, the late, great uh, James Dean. And he, he, he sticks around, and I, I think Sister gets really kind of frustrated with Elizabeth Taylor's character. And when, spoilers, her, uh, she, she dies, she leaves a section of land to James Dean. And they try very hard to get him to take a payout instead of staying on the land, but it doesn't work. And then what happens is oil is struck and we see the scenes that lead up to it. And those are some of my favorite leading up to, oh, oh something's going to happen here. And it happens to strike on the land that belongs to James Dean. And overnight, he has way more money than Rock Hudson. And then it's a territorial fight between the two of them that goes on for multiple generations. Also, this really interesting, uh, this is another one where, where there's uh, a younger character who is obsessed with Elizabeth Taylor. Uh, James Dean becomes very kind of enamored with, with her because she is pretty much the only person after Mercedes McCambridge is, is gone who is treating him respectfully and kindly. And that then transfers into a different dynamic when we get into the later generation when he's become a giant oil magnet and like the physical appearance of this guy changes. It's a big story. So I'm, you know, it's, it's tough to kind of do a concise premise on this one. It is. But yeah. one of the things, and this was evident in my second viewing as well is I find myself cheering for James Dean's character yet he really is the antagonist in this film. Arguably, he's the antagonist. I don't know if we have a different read on it or not. He was very difficult to work with on this film. Um, everything I heard about, but him and, and Elizabeth Taylor got along. Elizabeth Taylor got along with Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson and James Dean, opposite acting philosophies, did not get along at all. There were all kinds of dysfunctional dynamics in here. Dean showing up to the set late or he, you know, smashed a, this car that the studio gave them for these scenes. And he went off like shooting rabbits with Mercedes Cambridge and whenever he felt like it. And, you know, kind of disagreed with the direction and everything that was, that was happening. But this became a uh, an even bigger film with the fact that pretty much a week after, it was a week or a month after they wrapped, he died in the car accident and we're left with these three amazing performances. First time I watched this, I was like, this is James Dean's movie. Man, he's good in this. He is so good. He is, he's out acting everybody. I'm cheering for him. And when we get to the third act, I should not be cheering for this guy. I really should not be siding with this guy. But I still sort of am because of how great Dean is in the film. What I had forgotten is he, and he was nominated. They were both him and Hudson. Taylor wasn't nominated, but him and Hudson, they were both against each other for best lead actor. I, I kept having in my head that, that Dean was a supporting character because I forgot how little screen time he has. Like there's chunks of the movie where he disappears, probably not to the betterment of the film, even though there's this mm -hmm. great photography and production design. And and I think Taylor is very good in the film too. And I I, I kind of think she maybe should have been considered for a nomination for this with, with everybody else. This is another one that was up for best picture lost, but Stevens won best director for it. And um, the, yeah. And so it's one of these epic films from the time that a lot of people will not watch because 
three and a half hours, but people should check it out because I like it a lot. And I think this is like not in the middle. It's a little bit above the middle for me, but you, you have to see James Dean in this film. I mean, it's, it's yeah. so interesting what he's doing. I mean, it's, yeah, he, like what, during downtime, he would learn everything about being a cattleman and, 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 and roping. And, and by the end he was a, a pro at this because he knew he has to be the character. He has to be born doing this. And he committed completely, he committed to all of his roles completely emotionally. And it was, it was a lot for him. And, and Stevens later on admitted that, yeah, he was late and all that because he was getting emotionally prepared for the scene that they were doing that day. And he gave a great performance. How could you not look at that and, and not appreciate the performance? But, um, but I think maybe how, how great he is contrasting with Rock Hudson has some nice scenes here and there and some flashy scenes kind of towards the end, but he just feels like very bland compared to everybody else. Yet this is, this was the only time he was nominated for an Oscar. And I, I don't remember reacting to this way to his performance the first time I saw it, but this time I just was like, it's, he'd be kind of like third for me of the of the leads, and maybe even fourth. I'd, I'd have Mercedes McCambridge in their short amount of screen time ahead of him for kind of those four performances. I should also mention young Dennis Hopper's in there, Sal Minio, uh, lots of actors who were in uh, Rebel Without a Cause, uh, yeah. make appearances in, in in this film too, and it, it was just kind of nice to see those roles and. I'll read this. I'm not sure I agree with the statement on, on my DVD copy. This was a quote from Time Magazine. The most effective declaration against racial intolerance ever shown on the screen, best picture of the year. That's a big statement. Mm. I'm not sure it's true. Maybe it was true for that time. But I don't remember a movie around this era showing interracial marriage as it does late in the film. But I, I don't know if kind of the the big moments towards the end of the film showing bigotry and how it's handled. I, I still, I think it's problematic. I know that's what they were, he was probably going for and maybe it was a step forward at that time, but it just doesn't hit the same way now. But I, I, I just appreciate the scope of it, how it looks, Dean's performance. And I think what it was trying to do, maybe more than what it actually kind of lands or how it lands now. But I, I don't want to say I don't like this film. It just, it, it went down a couple notches for me from my first viewing, I was like, oh, giant is giant. It is. It's one of mm. the great movies of that era. I think it's a great movie, but I think there are other movies in that kind of late 50s time as well that are better than it as well. So. This is hilarious because that's my exact experience with it too. Is it? Okay, good. Is that in re-watching it in recent years, my esteem for it has like I, I I see more of the cracks and and the places where it's a little lacking or or maybe a little overstuffed. Um, I also I agree with you. This is James Dean's movie, and the scenes, the the plot points that revolve around the Jet Rinks characters, his relationship with Luce, the sister, who is not of the same class as him, but she looks out for him and sees him almost as a son. That relationship is so interesting. Great scenes that come out of that. The the conflicts between Jet and Bick, uh, Rock Hudson's character. Those are some great scenes. The relationship between Elizabeth Taylor's Leslie and Jet. Those are some of my favorite scenes in the film. And it's and it's the relationship that gets kind of 
mentioned and hinted, but it isn't until very late in the picture that, that it gets brought up again. And you're like, man, I wish we had seen more of that, more of James Dean, because his character I think is pivotal and is the most interesting to, to play in these scenes against the other characters and bring out conflict. Um, I think Elizabeth Taylor is great in the role of Leslie. This is another one of those roles where she's, you know, the virtuous, polished, educated young woman who will grow up to be your perfect wife. She's playing that role again. But what's cool about it in this film, about her role, is that even though she is kind of filling a traditional role, she is educated. She is outspoken. She sees herself as an equal with her husband. And she just had the unfortunate <laughs> circumstance of marrying into this very traditional patriarchal family. So, okay, I'm going to say this right now. Because I, I think Rock Hudson gives a great performance. But I think his character, Bick, is totally unlikable is he supposed to be the hero of this film i mean i don't know maybe i he's not a hero to me i think no. he's you know he marries this woman and then he completely and this is not unheard of for that time and unfortunately yes. still in some places this is still the case he sees a wife's role as being you know in the kitchen minding the children you know, in the home sphere, the woman doesn't listen to the men's business. She has to look a certain way, act a certain way, step aside and just kind of be behind him. And what I love is that he's he's married this woman and and Elizabeth Taylor brings that presence that she has even then, even this early. At 56, she brings that where you say that she is virtuous, she is this kind of ideal wife, but she's also not a doormat. No. She's also, she's confident in the fact that, hey, I have opinions too. I have an education. I can understand and follow this conversation. Why do I have to go to bed and let the men talk? Yes. I love or, or her character. Women. Or sit yeah. with the other. That's my favorite scene of in her performance. Yeah, is when she just she walks over. Oh, you can go over and you know, drink tea with the other the ladies or whatever. But she she's not listening to. She is, and, and they all are. They're all quiet. She's, they just stop talking. Yeah, she's talk. interested then, in the conversation. And the women are this. are mad at her too. It's like, oh, she doesn't yeah. really want to talk to us. So then she kind of isolates herself there. But that that. That, that was such an interesting idea. I, I'm not sure where the payoff is necessarily other than right. scenes later on where she's kind of doing the same thing. But it, it's interesting that we, we have that scene. And what I like about the old age sequence with her mm -hmm. is that when her daughter then grows up and she's saying, oh, no, you, you can't go to Texas Tech. That's a man's college. Mm-hmm. So in a generation, she was like breaking all these rules. She's now conformed to these yes. rules. 
in this society. And now she's imposing restrictions on her daughter that, you know, the younger version of her would have never done. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. I think that what I wrote in my notes was that this film is an admirable attempt to tackle racism, class conflict, sexism. Like I, I commend them for trying. Um, the racism in this film, again, Rock Hudson's character, Bick, is a racist. Yes. He's racist. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor Leslie's character, she is less so. She wants to see that the the village where the migrant workers live have adequate housing and medical care. And she sees nothing wrong with sending their own private doctor. And her husband and some of the other men are aghast that you would send our doctor to treat these Mexican laborers. And she's like, there's, there's someone, a sick, a baby's dying. He's a doctor. Why would I not send the doctor? So, you know, there's moments like that where, it's like, oh, the racism from some, some of those characters is just awful. It's I, just I, bad. I question, and maybe it's just being cynical and in the times that we're in, her motivation uh-huh. in that, though, is she trying to be some sort of a, a Mother Teresa white savior for right. village? I, I that's don't what's know. problematic about that. Yeah. But, again, that's another thing that's not completely followed up or explored. It just means that, like, when Salminio grows up, you know, there's there's this connection between the families and, yeah. you know, the, the dynamic, which is interesting to me about like Rock Hudson wishes that like Salminio was his son, not Dennis Hopper. Uh, yeah. Dennis Hopper's, a, you know, he wants he's a different direction. He's and he's not. And uh, that painful scene, that birthday scene where oh. forcing that poor boy to be on the, the horse yeah. and crying and everybody has seen that. I just. It's like so painful and humiliating. Like anybody who's been bullied in their life just get must you know we get some sort of a feeling from watching that. And that's another example where Rock Hudson's just such a horrible human being. And James Dean's horrible too, especially in the third act when he gets all of this power and he's he's racist too. And the policies too, in that yes. hotel when Dennis Hopper's wife tries to go in to just get her hair and and like I mean. You know, it's a lot of stuff going on. I don't remember having a problem with it, but I did this time with the scene in the restaurant late in the film. And this was the big mm. people cheering and Rock Hudson's a hero moment when he gets into the fight with the, like the uh, bigoted you know cafe owner who won't serve yeah. them. How did you feel about that scene? I, I That one just didn't sit. It, it yeah, like it doesn't. Movie. It didn't really work for me. It was over the top. And I, I, I think this is the point in the film you know, in this final act, this final scene, we're supposed to say, hey, look how far Bick has come and overcome his prior racism. But that's not how it reads at all. And- no. <laughs> oh, it's if you won't serve my family because of this, I'm going to fight. But if I notice any other racism happening, I'm just going to you know, go about my a business or something like but it's it's almost like a comedic fight yes you no know? like yes. it's so 
big, so over the, I mean, the movie's called Giant, I guess, but it, it is so over the top. And after we've seen kind of all of this dramatic and great stuff in the hotel and with James Dean's character and what's downfall of, of, of him, this feels like a strange place for it. And then we have kind of this yeah. denouement scene there with the grandchildren and, uh, and you know, Taylor and Hudson kind of looking at uh, the life they've created for the next generation or whatever. And, you know, I guess it's a, a good blast last shot of those children is kind of what what's going to happen in the next generation and that that thought there's nothing wrong with that but noble attempt is right i think it's yeah i just i guess and we run into this a lot with movies that don't don't age as well i think the scope of it and the technique and the film acting dealing with a, a myriad of acting philosophies having to to wrangle that is quite a like you earn your best director oscar when you're definitely you, Two, your two male leads don't get along and you're not getting along with uh, one of them at least, you know, and I guess in the, the, the wedding scene, uh, I keep bringing up this trivia, which doesn't impact the review really, but there's that, uh, the wedding scene where uh, Rock Hudson comes back to win mm. with Taylor back um, and they don't have any dialogue. I guess that uh, Rock Hudson and his wife and Liz Taylor and, and her husband they got massively drunk the night before. They were they were drinking till three thirty, and and Taylor had a five thirty call time, and and Ooh. Hudson had a seven o'clock call time. That's rough. <laughs> and and they're doing this scene, and apparently everybody there was like in tears about showing the love. They did such a good job of showing the love between each other. They were both just trying their best not to be sick because they were both right massively over. And you know, so I mean, that's so I. That's another example. Just like Taylor seemed to, it didn't matter who the leading actor was or who was involved. She seemed to get along with everybody. And I guess that's part of the secret is don't, don't be a jerk. If you want to have a multi-decade movie star career. Don't alienate your, your future co your possible, your possible future co-stars. Yes. Versus I think it would have been interesting to see Dean as he got older, like Brando was known to be difficult. If he would have continued to be a kind of a difficult person, it's like, okay, can we he's great, he'll always be great, but can we put up with this personality? Sure. You know, well, and you know, I wonder too, he he aspired to be a director. I wonder how much longer had he lived, would he have been an actor and and you know, how would he have been as a director? I mean, there's so many what ifs about someone dying so tragically young and having been so incredibly talented and, and, and it's cut short. And guys like uh, Brando and Newman were able to live long enough. They got to do some directing. Yeah. They were still at the end known as, as actors more than directors. There's a lot of potential there. I mean, every one of James Dean's performances is near perfect. And nobody has a track record like that. It was just such a short number of films yeah. he was able to to complete. And I don't know, I wouldn't want to rank them, but Giant is up there for me. I just I just think if you, all these things going on in that movie, if you become like the gold medal star MVP of an epic film like that, that that's how great he was. I wouldn't have wanted to direct him, but I can appreciate how great... <laughs> <laughs> this work was uh yeah there have been more more things for us to be critical about on this film than maybe we would have you know the first couple times we watched it yeah. so it might sound like we're being a little more critical just on the fact 
that James Dean is in this is the reason people should see this movie. If anyone's listening and hasn't seen this, you need to see James Dean's third and final film. In the middle of it, he shot Rebel Without a Cause. Like he started yes. the film section where he wasn't it. He did Rebel Without a Cause. There were different delays for the for this film. I mean, he gave it a great performance within another great performance. I mean, that's had no time. Like he went straight from Rebel into this. I think he was emotionally exhausted throughout, and that's where some of those, those antics uh, came through there. But we're being super hard on this movie because this is a movie that was studio-backed, had all yeah. of the advantages, had a great director, yes. had an epic budget. And so this isn't like a small indie that, again, friends on a weekend trying to put a movie together where we can forgive some some things. This is a it's, this is one of the many that we're talking about that's considered a classic. So And it is. I would not argue against that. And I think it's a good film. Yeah. It is. We judge it on that level, but I, you know, no movie's perfect. I mean, even Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf isn't perfect. (laughs) It's hard for me to argue against that one. So, uh, yeah, I, again, I think as hard as as I'm being on this, at least, my points will reflect that I really do love this movie. Do Do you want to know what's happened, George? Do you want to know what's really happened? It snapped. Finally, not, not me, it, the whole arrangement. Oh, you can go on forever and after. Everything is manageable. You make all sorts of excuses to yourself. To, to, to hell with it. This is life. Maybe tomorrow he'll be dead. Maybe tomorrow you'll be dead. All sorts of excuses. Then one day, one night, something happens and snap! It breaks and you just don't give a damn anymore. I've tried with you, baby. I've really tried. Come off it, Martha. I've really tried. You're a monster. You are. I'm loud and I'm vulgar and I wear the pants in the house because somebody's got to. But I am not a monster. I'm not. All right. You have your points together? I do. (laughs) Let me tell you. This would be a tough one. This was the most difficult. You know, times where you and I have, have done other themes. And, and the collection of films, there's some that I go into it knowing I love, other ones I have never seen before. And so, you know, once I see them, then it's like, oh, okay, I can kind of figure out where that lands. Some that I go knowing in, knowing I don't like the film already. Yeah. This was such a challenge because I legitimately love all these films in different ways and for different reasons. So I thought at first that I was just going to split it all even. I, I I modified this a little bit. Okay. As as I was rewatching these in preparation for our discussion and and thinking about them in terms of what 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 would break my heart and what wouldn't break my heart for you to lose from your collection. So so I will I will give you my points now. You know, I, I'm interested in this because sometimes we get some unusual yeah. points distribution here, but uh, we'll. Uh... Yeah, uh, might as well just rip the bandaid off and do All it. All right, here. let's go. Let's, let's do it. A, a place in the sun. How many <laughs> points did you give a uh, place in the sun? 11. Reflections in a golden eye. 11. Cat on a hot tin roof. Uh, 11. Nightwatch. 6. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? 11. And Giant. 10. I'll give you my points. They're, they're spread out a little bit wider, for sure, but... Uh, yeah. We, we actually did, we were close, and there's one where we were exactly the same. I gave eight to A Place in the Sun. Again, mostly because of the predictability of the plot. But, uh, you know, it's a complex, it's a more complex movie than it seems on the surface and is very well executed. 
I gave eight to Reflections and the Golden Eye. I, I did mention that it's a mess in my my take on it, but it's so interesting. Just if there are a few pieces that were a little bit stronger, I might have might have been a little bit uh, closer to the, the 10 point range or so. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, I uh, gave 12 points to. We were very close. You gave it 11. I, I, I love that movie, even with the compromised screenplay that uh, that was presented. Yeah, I said Night Watch is tough on it. Um, yeah, that's the only one I would have kind of a thumbs down to. I gave it five, but still very close to what you gave it. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? 17 points. I told you I was... I was giving it a lot more than than the others there, and I just, yeah. I, you weren't taking any chances. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it might be a tough one to, to to pick up again. I'm not sure where it is as far as uh, if it's out of print or what at this point. And the one where we're exactly the same giant, 10 points. What that means is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf gets the most points with uh, 28, followed by Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with 23. Third is Giant with 20. Then fourth is Reflections in a Golden Eye with uh, 19 points. And it's actually tied with A Place in the Sun, which also has 19 points. So that was a tie for fourth. But yeah, sadly, with 11 points, Night Watch from 1973 is the one that would leave my collection. But as I kind of predicted at the beginning, <laughs> it's a digital-only <laughs> film. Right. So anything you can okay. think of? Okay. Okay. So... I, I mean, some people might say this is a punishment. I say, really, I'm rewarding you, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You need to see the other Elizabeth Taylor Lawrence Harvey film. You need to get in there and finally watch Butterfield 8. I'm guessing that's going to be, yeah, that, that's that's going to be a reward because I've been wanting <laughs> to see this movie for years and it just has not happened. So, yeah, now you have to. It gets mixed reviews from others. I adore it. T Taylor's feelings about it or whatever, but yeah. I'll try not to let, to let the, I'm, I'm going to watch it between now and the next time that we record together. And nice. part of it too is I have to report back to you, Please no matter it. what theme we're talking about, report back to you my thoughts on, uh, on Butterfield 8. Thank you again so much. I appreciate any time you give to this show. And yeah, it goes without saying you're welcome anytime. And this was fun. I got to see some movies that I hadn't seen before. I know other times you've been on, you've seen movies, had first time watches a little bit more. You had watched all these ones before and were familiar with them. So that was, uh, it was, that was kind of nice uh, to kind of do the reverse there. Um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a pleasure, Jason. Thank you so very much for having me back. It's always a good time talking movies with you. And, and this was so special because these all of these films are special to me so i it was just a blast thank you yeah and i just also want to like shout out that you post on twitter some of the most amazing double features and you kind of mention a <laughs> theme you. kind of for the night there i'm always going to liken those i'm like oh that's so cool i should be watching that tonight you know but i have to watch these movies for my podcast <laughs> 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 yeah. advantage of being like the uh the uh, professional guest on these podcasts is, you know, yeah. I'm going to watch this tonight. And, you know, <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway, I, I, I appreciate this from a distance friendship and uh, uh, I, I'm sure we will hear back from you uh, in the not too distant future. So absolutely. Uh, again, uh, and I'll give you a chance to promote a few other podcasts too at the end here, but I, it's, it's always film feast. We want to talk about, um, uh, Lifetime of Hallmark, uh, Rankin Review, 
um, Schlock and Awe, all friends of the show there. And are there any others? I, you always have a million that you're you're on, but <laughs> you have any uh, shows or anything that you'd like to promote? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll plug. I recently recorded with the Cult Movies podcast. And, and you should just listen to them, period, end of story, not yes. just when I'm on there. But uh, that was really fun. So so fans of that podcast will hear me on there soon. Or probably actually, at the time of this recording, it will already be out. And then, let's see, Schlock and I recently recorded with Lindsay and had a great time. Yes. So that's coming up. Uh, the VHS podcast recorded with with Dirk recently and that's that's a really fun show too so i would it's highly recommend folks yeah. check them out it's great i mean yeah everybody loves having you on your on on the show because you bring such enthusiasm and i just love your approach to film criticism and uh oh, thank you, you know, um and yeah i i think w whatever the topic is next i, I want you to choose again too because that's i like being kind of pushed out of my comfort zone as well uh Sometimes you get into like the you get get into the, like the same types of movies. I try to break yeah, your kind of comfort zone. You kind of get it stuck in a comfort rut. Yeah. Folks out there, again, be kind to one another and be safe and uh, keep supporting the movies. Talk to you next time.